ਤੁਸੀਂ your turn to blood bad cop yeah good cop to bad cop left for the day i'm a different kind of cop i don't know where the girl is her name is jenny report i'm giving you one chance to let me know where you are now i'm sorry i wish i could I need to make sure you understand each section that you're signing. Section B is your immunity agreement. You will be granted full immunity for any and all truthful statements you make tonight. Anything you fail to disclose or if your statements are false or if you ever fail to provide your agreed upon services, the entire deal will be voided. Your statement will be recorded. Is there anything you want to say before I turn on the recorder? State your full name. Victor Samuel Mackey. Anytime you're ready. During a raid on a drug dealer named Two Time. I shot and killed Detective Terry Crowley. You you killed a police officer? I planned it. I carried it out. I shot him once. Just blow the eye. Son of a bitch. I killed Crowley to protect me and my guys. Smith. How much memory is that thing got? thrilling and by thrilling I mean exciting by exciting I mean terrifying uh in 7 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 and this the month of November in the year of our lord 2008 thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day we are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM970 the talker this my friends is the Rick Emerson radio program lovingly assembled here in the United States of America thank you for coming along it is uh 503-733-2970 503 If you'd like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, hangover remedies, uh, whatever it is you might have today. It's 503 You can also uh, email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Richie is uh, standing by, uh, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about, you know, whatever. Is he wearing those boot things today? He got brand new boots from somebody. A listener knew his shoe size. Absolute creepy. From have, a secret admirer. Have we, have we ever, um, have we ever said Richie's shoe size on the air? I don't think we have. Is that in the case of somebody out there? I think we did when, when we had the taboo people in and they were outfitting him. That, really? That may have been. Okay, that might actually people be. People do write things down. Sure, there are. 
Sometimes people remember things you don't really expect them to. You make some like casual throwaway statement, and the next thing you know, you've got a pair of exciting uh, shoes in the mail to you. So, all right. Well, so Richie was wearing these sort of, I mean, they were heels, but they were relatively low to the ground. I'd say they were an inch, maybe an inch and a half, two inches. And then the last couple of days, he sort of ramped up into these, I don't know, I'd say they're probably three-inch heels. Now today, he's got full-on pointy toe. They're like Condoleezza Rice boots. Yes, they are. They kind of, you know what they look like? They're sort of a cross between dominatrix wear and, like, beetle boots. They got the real point. You know, like he just came from the Emerald City, but like a sexy Emerald City filled with floggers. You know, or whatever. So, uh, anyway, we'll talk to Richie about that, uh, about that later on. It is uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. You know, for whatever it is that might be on your, uh, on your brain today. Coming up later on in today's program, we'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. She will join us from the Hill. Uh, we'll see if she watched the uh, Mr. T infomercial as well. What else we got today? Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City. And CNN Radio correspondent James Roop from Los Angeles. Uh, we'll also be joined at the 2 o'clock hour by Don Taylor from Film.com. Uh, she'll talk about DVD releases and a list of the worst movies to watch over the Thanksgiving season, especially if you are drunk and alone. I like her. She's a smart lady. Don Taylor? Yep. Yeah, I, I dig her. She's a, uh, not a sharp cookie, because that doesn't make any sense. A smart cookie. Yes. That's what she is. All right. And she makes a mean uh, a thing, a, uh, a confection, a candy, whatever it is. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. Here's how dense I am. And I feel really bad about this lady, because she came in... Well, a couple weeks ago to talk about presidential films and that JFK box set. And then she brought, she left us some sort of like truffles and chocolates and, you know, sort of a, the sweet creations of all varieties. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really realize that she had actually made those because they were from some, you know, some confectionery place. And, uh, you know, and I just figured that she had picked them up just as a token of how much she loves us. It turns out that that is like that she has a whole separate business where she actually has a candy company. And I have to tell you, I tried some of it later, and it was unbelievably good. And I'm not much of a candy guy. I have a very limited sweet tooth. But, man, it was really dangerous. You know, like somewhere there's a witch in the woods luring kids into an oven with the stuff she makes. No offense. I mean, not in the best way possible. It was really quite something. Anyway. So, uh, Don Taylor from Film.com joins us in the studio later on. We'll do today's uh, top five. I meant to get to it yesterday, but we're going to do it in the 1 o'clock hour today. That's how ambitious we are on today's program. Today we're going to get to the top five in the 1 o'clock hour. Like maybe... 140, 145 the latest. Uh, top five songs that make being a junkie sound awesome. Let's see. What else? Bushwatch coming up today. Uh, Geekwatch coming up today. Uh, we're not going to have High Concept Thursday this week, most likely, so we will, in fact, have High Concept Tuesday, and we'll count down the remaining hours right now if you're here on the, uh, the West Coast and if you're not cheating by watching some satellite feed. And by the way, confidential to Patrick... Here, I'm not even going to start checking my email until, like, I don't know, 11.30 or midnight. Because last week I made the mistake of checking my email at, I don't know, like 8 o'clock. And he'd already watched The Shield on the satellite. He'd watched, like, the East Coast feed of it. Oh, my God, what about that scene where and I had to, like, delete, delete, prank caller? And I had to close my Blackberry so I didn't see it. So I'm not even going to be checking my... Once the show is over, I'm not going to read a single email until midnight. Uh, tonight's special 90-minute series finale of The Shield. So that's tonight. We'll uh, we'll count down the hours to that and, uh, you know, other things of this nature. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. Not to be outdone by President-elect Obama, still lingering President Bush is trying to free up credit for auto loans, student loans, and credit cards. 
The Fed announces still another bailout to buy up mortgage-based securities and related debt at bargain basement price of $600 billion. Well, that's great. No, wait. It's terrible. No, it's great. Wait, then there's it? another one. Okay. Uh, Wall Street gives its blessings to a $20 billion federal bailout for Citicorp. We can't keep track of these anymore. There are just too many of them out there. I have no idea. Uh, the LDS Church is under investigation over allegations they didn't report all their contributions to California's Prop 8. Fantastic. Mm. Political correctness gone wild. Parents address their children as pilgrims and Native Americans for Thanksgiving parties against school regulations. Is this here in Portland or is this, this in some California. other... California. Really? All right, then. You know, with California values and all, Tim. How about Florida values? The Florida University bans Christmas decorations because people complained? Who complains about Christmas? Seriously. Seriously. Get bent. Twinkle lights? Those are so offensive. Mm -hmm. What kind of Christmas decorations? Or do I have to wait to find out? Get to wait to find That's out. That's a tease. Jeez. All right. There have been two pre-holiday pit bull attacks. Sweet. A Cuban wrestler who bought six Portland cops gets six days. A day a cop. And the New York Post reports Ann Coulter broke her jaw and had to have it wired back shut again. Please let it be true. Please let it be true. Please let it be true. Do we know if that is that just a scurrilous rumor right now? It's from the Post. Is this one of those things like the wrestler Rupert China Rupert Murdoch's had? New York Post. That's true. You know, and Rupert Murdoch is himself a bit of a right-leaning individual, Tim. Yes, he is. And hopefully it'll take at least four years to cure her. You know, the great thing about Rupert Murdoch, though, is he is so, and I mean this in, in I was going to say a good way, but it... I guess it is kind of good. He's so totally amoral. That's the great thing about well, Rupert Murdoch. He's a modern-day William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, and I mean, he is. He himself leans to the right, but but as a result, people think that everything that Rupert Murdoch owns is a right-leaning property. Oh, they, I know it's a village voice. Yeah, they, and that's exactly the case. They think it, but they think that because of Fox News. They look at Fox News and they go, Murdoch Broadcasting, or whatever the hell it's called, Murdoch Communications, or Murdoch whatever. I think uh, it's News Corp. News Corp. Uh, you know, they think that it's all just a tool of the right wing, but of course, as you said, he noted that he owns the Village Voice, and he also wants Fox Television, the home of, well, at least at a certain point, uh, married with children, right. and, uh, you know, the Simpsons and so forth. And he owns other Fox affiliates in large markets that have pretty much unslanted news. Really, the only party that Rupert Murdoch belongs to is the party of making Rupert, Rupert Murdoch even wealthier. Uh -huh. So, there you go. That is, uh, you know, for a guy who's a foreigner... He is strangely American in almost every way. Yes. All right, wonderful. Uh, and I wonder if the thing with Ann Coulter is like, what's her name, though, the wrestler, China? Where they had to bust her jaw and then wire it shut to try to make, it, make her look vaguely feminine? Have you seen, and I know you haven't, have you seen the sex tape with, what, with China, the wrestler? I First thought of all, you were talking about Ann Coulter's sex tape, but no, I haven't seen that one. No, but you'd kind of want to. I mean, that we, like, if there was an Ann Coulter sex tape, you'd watch that, right? Probably. I mean, that's just to see... You know, just to see at one point she molts off her human shell and devours her companion. I mean, sort of a uh, black widow. Then does she, she have the same attributes as others of her sex? I, I, here's the thing. I would imagine that Ann Coulter, without her clothes on, looks relatively normal, if somewhat boyish. I would guess that Ann Coulter has like an a, alien autopsy. Well, see, now see, you're thinking <laughs> she's way. See, here's the thing: is I suspect. Really, just the sad, embarrassing truth for Ann Coulter is she's really normal. I mean, that would be my that would be my hunch, because she seems so crazy and nutty and outlandish and kooky and wacky and whatever and and just so unbelievably strange that I would imagine that the reality is that she's almost entirely normal, you know, and was either just you know either not quite enough or a little bit too much love from dad, and that's what has given her this rather unusual slant she's got sort of mentally. I'm thinking though. She's probably relentlessly normal in almost every other way. Not even, I don't think Ann Coulter even is on like the Lilith Crane 
uh, sort of tip in terms of her uh, in terms of her intimate issues. And we don't know what happened that she stretched her jaw so much that it snapped. No, I got a thing there. There was probably some custody battle when she was a kid, and there was just a tug of war involving her shoulders and her scalp. That's just my guess. But no, but that wrestler China, whose real name is Joni something or other. You know what I'm talking about, China, the wrestler. Mm -hmm. Now, you have you only ever seen her in the last few years? Did you ever see her before she got her surgery? I don't think I did. When she first came out, she was, I mean, I mean, we we joke about Jessica Simpson having a lantern jaw. I mean, she looked like full-on trap jaw from the He-Man cartoons. Just a massive. The, the China, the wrestler, had a lower jaw, looked like the Iron Giant. Every time she would get another, you know, Hogarth. You know, I'm just like chewing up a Chrysler or something. But she had that surgery where they break your jaw and do a whole bunch of little pieces and then they throw some of them away. That's what my, my sister had her jaw broken and set back. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yeah, they bust up your jaw and then they throw some of it out and then they take the remaining pieces and they wire it together. So you got like a smaller jaw that looks somewhat vaguely feminine. And it still didn't really work with her. But while I was browsing around some dark corner of the internet a while back, and I saw little bits and pieces of that China sex tape, and I got to tell you, this is just my observation. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a gynecologist. I don't really, I don't play anything on the radio except myself. Having seen a little bit of that China sex tape, how do I put this? Um, I'm almost certain that I saw uh, an Audi where an innie is supposed to be. That's all I'm saying. Really? I mean, look, maybe it's... An Audi? Man, man. Well, you know how you've heard of, like, the, you know, fat guy in a little coat? I Maybe it was just a big man in a little boat. Uh, but it looked very much like... Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it looked very much as though there was something there that ought not to be. And again, don't get me wrong. Rick Emerson passes no judgment. I'm just saying she's marketed as a woman. So I would like to think that there is truth in advertising. Anyway, but I, I have such a low bar for that. Like, I sat and watched that Gene Simmons sex tape. Why was I doing that? I mean, is there something better I can do with 25 minutes of my life? Clearly not. A lot of times, there's nothing on. No. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, there's there's no Springer and Anderson Cooper's gone into that rerun hour, so I had no choice but to watch Gene Simmons or, have or, sex with some hot model. Or, you know, 50 channels of the Housewives of Atlanta. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, man. did I, tell you, I accidentally watched about 14 minutes of The Hills last night. Well, that's just IQ points that I'm never going to get back I to. I watched The Hills last night, too. There's that guy who looks like Todd the Corpse, who comes on, does a little bit of a wrap-up or like some like a recap or whatever. Oh, did you watch it on the, on TV? Yeah. Oh, okay, because I watch it on the Internet, so I don't think I, I have the Todd the Corpse. No, they do some segment where it's like they, it looked like it looked like singled out on MTV, where there's like a guy and a girl, and then they have cast members from The Hills on, and they start talking about, how did you feel in that scene where you weren't invited to the wedding or whatever? And it was that somehow I just got sucked into it like a television tractor beam. And then I looked at show with no one over 18. I don't really know. I, I was when I was talking to you about Tim this morning when I just read that. Oh yeah. Heidi and Spencer got married. Yeah, see, you know that that's that's what they were talking about. They were talking about Heidi's wedding last night. Why am I talking about this? They, but they because were... it's stupid and it's American and that's what people are talking about. No, I just found out yesterday. I was just looking on the internet and it was in Us Weekly. It's just like we eloped. I'm like, oh sweet. They Lord. were talking about Heidi and Spencer's wedding on the hills last night. But they were doing. I don't know if this is how that show always runs. But they were doing like some sort of a recap or a post-game analysis or something almost with a studio audience and a male and a female host. And the female, it was like kind of a willy-willy figure, really, really long, straight blonde hair. And then the guy looked just like Todd the Corpse, maybe crossed with Mo Rocca. But he was like 20. And then they had some person from the hills on, and they were asking her, like, so how did you feel in that scene when they got, they got married? Did you, oh my God, were you just like, were you just stunned? 
And then she was, and that's about the point when I kind of went, yeah, and I woke and I realized that I'd just been you sitting there watching it. it. I've been sitting there like an like an American, no lie, last night sitting on the sofa watching the hills and doing what my wife would call grazing because I hadn't even really intended to watch the hills. I think I just turned on the TV to see if it was taping Anderson Cooper, and it wasn't. It was taping the hills because the TiVo keeps going even when my wife is out of town. And so I just found myself watching it and shoveling Triscuits into my mouth. And those the new ones that are the rosemary and olive oil. So much dumber. You just watch people stare at each other blankly like... Oh, why man, they were all dumb. Why doesn't he like me? Everybody on that show was mind-bogglingly stupid. And the girl they were uh, talking to looked like um, kind of a younger version of your friend Delane. So it was like watching Todd the Corpse interview your friend Delane while sitting next to one of the Von What's Trapp girls. If I, said, if I said names and embarrassed myself, would you be able to no. say which one it was? No, okay, then I, I tried to block the whole thing out. Okay. Anyway, so that was what I—that was my night last night. What did you do, Sarah Dillon? Oh, not a lot, Rick Emerson. I actually went to bed fairly early, went and uh, had a couple drinks with my friend, and then, yeah. Didn't I don't you? understand you. What is it when you go into bed at a reasonable hour like that? I don't know. I've is just someone becoming winter. mature? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. All right, I don't I'm know. just I'm saying. Lucky. I just yeah, I'm just getting. I still love going out and stuff. I'm getting kind of burned out of the whole like. You know, Southeast Portland party scene. Well, you know, here's Just the thing. A bit. You know, and it's probably good that this has happened to you. You're going through this metamorphosis in your life because your friends are all getting married and having babies. Seriously. So you just it, maybe you need the St. John's party scene. Add up. Well, it's just I, I think I hit a that point. That ends where... up with you in a trunk by the side <laughs> of the road. I just had a point where going out all the time used to be fun, and now it just seems kind of sad. Like, when I'm at the same place every night, I'm like, I don't really... So I'm trying to I'm trying to explore new terrain and, and find more things to well, do here's and a, get more sleep. And I'm just saying it is, and I'm not trying to make and you feel like old. old person. No, 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 I'm not trying to make you feel old, but I'm you saying... You a custom-made couch. You go through, you go through transformative uh, stages in your life where maybe the things that you were into or the things that you did or maybe things you now do less often. And it's good that you do that because if you don't change... Like, if your friends get older, which they are, get married, which they are, have kids, which they are, and you don't alter your lifestyle, pretty soon you are going to be like the late 20-something girl out there, and everybody you're out with is going to be 22. And you're going to look around, and you're going no. to be like that guy who comes back to high school after graduation to hang out and smoke doobie in the parking lot with, like, kids from, you know, woodshop class who are in 11th grade. And you'll say, I will not, I will not destroy my life as they have. Yeah, and that's kind, of, that. that's kind of what happened, because there's this bar that I like hanging out at, and um, one of my good friends, Tuggy, you know, I was hanging out with him, and then he has this new crop of friends of 21, 22-year-old girls, yeah, see, and they're just so annoying. And you don't want to be that. No, I don't want to be that, and I don't, and more or less, I don't want to spend time with a 21-year-old girl. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, I know I was 21, I just, and I know how annoying I was. <laughs> like, I do not want to spend my time with That's that. That's what I'm saying. Time to embrace your age, Sarah. It's true. Oh, God, you make me sound so old. I'm just saying. I you still know, have my youth. Uh -huh. You can tell it's a holiday week when the top story in Yahoo News is, Kitty Rides a Roomba. Wow. It literally is just a picture of a cat on top of a Roomba. Huh? All right. Hamster well. on the piano. Bulldog rides a skateboard. Evergreen stuff is coming out on I like to see that we're using jillion-dollar technology <laughs> to send around photos. Look at this. It's a picture of a bunny with a pancake on its head. LOL. Forward to everyone. But you can uh, bet people in cubicle land are all doing this today. That is right. Well, nobody's down to the, everyone's counting down till tomorrow. No real work being done today or tomorrow, except by us here on the Rick Emerson uh, Radio. Pro by the way, can I just tell you? And it's not just it's not just us. I well, I guess I can talk about this. Now. So, you know, I take this show, Outlook Portland, which airs on, on, on the Gossip Girl Network. That's right, Sarah. Sundays at six thirty. Um, when you're not watching The Hill. That is true. So, yes, exactly. So when you're not, you know, so you're not when you're not busy watching like. Uh, oh, you just gave me the best news though because I watched The Hills yesterday, which means that the new one happened last night, which means I get to watch the one from last night tonight today. Well, I'm glad I can. Is that also on the CW? 
<laughs> no, it's on uh, MTV. All right. But I just watch it on MTV.com. So I was taping this. Uh, so I was taping uh, a new episode of Outlook Portland this morning, and uh, the guest was our good friend Byron Beck, uh, who says howdy and hello, by awesome. the way. Oh, tell him I said hello. And so I got two things to say about this, and I and I almost shouldn't talk about it because it's not going to air for a couple of weeks because you know the holidays here, so we're trying to get a couple shows taped uh, in advance. You know, so that I'm not, you know, because you know, the, the camera crew is all going to be gone, and they don't want to be coming in. Could be a register strike. Well, and they well, yeah, and well, they don't want to be paying like the, uh, you know, like that, that golden time. Mm-hmm. You know, they come in and film on a Thanksgiving or something, and they're like in a jack the network for like three and a half times their yeah. normal salary. That's so, what I do. Tim says, giving a hearty thumbs up. Anyway, so I was taping. You know, I'm trying to get a bunch of shows taped in advance, and so this morning we were uh, we taped the show with Byron Beck, and we talked about a whole bunch of things. First of all, I guess I can say this. You'll have to you'll have to watch the show. It's going to air in two weeks um, to hear all the details. But he Byron did have dinner with James Franco. Uh, he had dinner and drinks with James Franco, who is from Freaks and Geeks. He is from the Spider-Man movies, and then also he's in that new movie Milk, which is the new Gus Van Sant film. Comes out this weekend. That's right. So so Milk, uh, which is about Harvey Milk, is the new Gus Van Sant film. Sean Penn, whole lot of folks in that, and then James Franco. James Franco had come to town for the premiere, and then Byron. And I think Juan, at one point, Byron's partner, and James Franco, all out painting the town, I don't know, puce or whatever color, uh, you know, and, and, and drinking cocktails or whatever. So we, so we had that whole discussion. And as part of it, you know, they obviously they just passed this Prop 8 nonsense in uh, in California. And, you know, there's all of this, this anti-gay crap everywhere. So Byron wanted to sort of weigh in on that. Um, and I swear to you, we tried because it, because the Outlook Portland show is a little bit different than this one. Because here I just come and I just you know if somebody irritates me, I just tell them to get bent and hang up. You know there I have to be I have to be fair and you know and, and even handed. Yeah, I watched a couple of the episodes. You yeah. do a really good job. Oh, I you do. Look so grown up. I work really hard at holding my tongue and not telling somebody that they're completely effed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know somebody comes on and they're just bumping their gums about some nonsense. I do. I I really have to fight back the urge to go like shut up and just you know go to break. Um, You're very diplomatic. I see, and it, but I'm glad. I'm glad you noticed. I'm not trying to be all about how great I am, but I'm glad that you noticed that because you know how hard it is for me to hold back my opinions. So anyway, so today we're talking about this the, the, the gay marriage fight, and we have Byron there, who obviously has been a domestic partner with Juan for some time, and they are busy fighting to get gay marriage in Oregon. We tried so hard to get someone to come on to hold down the other issues, someone who did the other side of it, someone to come who is who is opposed to gay marriage, and I mean. For what it's worth, uh, I don't know anybody opposed to gay marriage. So I, there was just nobody I, I knew. So Cheryl, uh, the Hawaiian who helps me book some of the guests, literally at one point just opened the phone book and just started calling one church after another. I right, would you like half an hour of free television time to espouse your nonsense? And we could not get anybody. I think in the it wake of... It would be hard to find here. I, well, and I think in the wake of the election, I think like the extreme right wing got so badly effed in this last election, they just don't want to come on television and talk about it. They want to have their nose rubbed in it. So I swear to God, and you'll have to wait two weeks to see this. So today, uh, when I was taping the show with Byron, Byron held down his side of the issue. I was the moderator. And holding down the anti-gay marriage side of the debate was, in fact, a sock puppet. So... I just. I know that you tried too, because you I tried. asked me. I know you contacted like every church that you could. Seriously, we were calling one priest after another. Come on, I know you're opposed to. Come on and talk about it, and they just wouldn't. So we had. Um, so we had a sock puppet uh, come on and debate Byron uh, about gay marriage, and it's. Who, was, who did the voice of the sock? Uh, I did. Awesome. He's on. Socko the family values puppet. 
So in two weeks, if you're watching Outlook Portland, you'll get to see Byron Peck debate a sock puppet about gay marriage. I will wake up at cool. 6.30 in the morning to watch that. And he has big googly eyes that I drew onto him. Um, all right. I think he's going to be a big hit. We're gonna, and the best part is, on the screen, the Chiron underneath him, like it says, you know, Byron Beck, you know, local author, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, Rick Emerson, moderator, radio host. Underneath it, it just says, Socko, the family values puppet. Um, that, and, and by the way, I do believe my eye not, uh, eyeliner today looks uh, fantastic. And that's all because of Sarah. So thank you for helping me with my eyeliner. I'll have to watch. No yeah. Problem. All right. All right. We come back. We talk to Lisa Desjardins, Steve uh, Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, Don Taylor, top five, Tim Riley, and we will count down to tonight's series finale of The Shield, airing here in Portland in ten and a half hours. Stay there. Back after this on the Rick Emerson. <laughs> The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, Geek Watch. Bush Watch today. Maybe a Britney Watch. I'm not sure about that. Uh, we'll do the top five. Top five songs that make being a junkie sound awesome. Uh, also, Don Taylor from Film.com. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the hills. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Let's get right to the most important thing today. Did you, in fact, watch the Mr. T infomercial? Oh, Come on! And then I, I, could, I had to go. I'm sorry. Don't you, in fact, have... I mean, you're not at work 24 hours a day. Like, you do actually have a house and a home and a life and, you know, whatever, right? Uh, yeah. You're I, telling me you can't spare six minutes for entertainment. I know. I, 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 I clearly I can. Clearly, clearly I, can use, I could lose six minutes of sleep, for example... Did you watch television last night? Uh, you know, actually, I um, I'm furiously reading uh, through Barack Obama's biographies because I feel like I got to catch up on that. So that's what I was doing. You're actually reading. First of all, how many are there? These aren't his autobiographies, are they? Well, he's got two books that he himself has penned, and you could say the first, Dreams of My Father, is is autobiographical. The second is more um, uh, the audacity of hope. It's it's more kind of his vision. Sort of thing. And I've read that one before, but I want to reread it. And I also was reading all this stuff. You know I'm addicted to the Treasury website right now, and I knew all this stuff might be happening today. And so I was kind of geeking out on trying to figure out these different acronyms and where all this money is going. And But that's lame. Well, all right. First of all, I think it's great that you're, quote, addicted to the Treasury website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, how many... No offense to Barack Obama, but how many times does somebody need to read Audacity of Hope? I mean, don't you just sort of take it as read that... Any book like that that comes out leading up to some sort of a presidential campaign cycle is just is just is just crap. I mean, it's all you know what I mean. It's all just like Pablo-esque spin. <laughs> right, that's true. That's but like you, reading that yeah, is Elvis alive book three or four times. <laughs> yeah, you know, you figure he's still got to stand by it though. Well, all right, well, whatever. Uh, okay, so so you're reading. Two Barack Obama books, one of them for the second time, simultaneously, and reading a lot about the Treasury. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank, have, thank goodness the election's over, because, yeah, I, I'm done with McCain. Done with John McCain. Are you, um, now, did you, have you already had a million people recommend that uh, you read this book, The Creature from Jekyll Island? No. Oh, now, see, now that's, now, I, to, to be fair, I myself have not yet read it. It's on this list of things i got to get to. Um, came out in 1996. And I won't belabor the point because I haven't read it, but it's a, it is a book about the history of the Federal Reserve. 
And I had a friend of mine who's really exceptionally bright. He read it, and he was just like, this, this book is amazing. It's mind-blowing. This is back in the mid-'90s. Like, you've got to read this book. It, it's incredible. And ever since you know, all of these sort of economic shenanigans began happening, however many weeks slash months ago, um, I've had now several listeners who were like, hey, you casually mentioned that book, The Creature of Jekyll Island. I'm reading it. It's mind-blowing. And my friend uh, Jeff McGinley, who used to be the engineer here, actually took time out of his busy schedule to call me at 10 o'clock in the evening last Thursday to talk to me about it. And apparently, I think the second chapter in this book about the Federal Reserve, which came out in 1996, apparently the second chapter is in fact called, The Name of the Game is Bailout. So... Oh, no kidding. I'm just saying, I can't vouch for, like, the veracity of the books. I haven't read it. But, you know, folks that I know and respect have said that it's uh, a bit of an eye-opening and somewhat terrifying book about the history of the Fed. Wow. I am already on um, Amazon. And bizarrely, the used copies of that book are going for more money than the new ones. Uh, well, so there so, you go. Apparently very popular. Anyway, so I can't, yeah, I can't really vouch for the for the truth of the book, but I do know that it uh, it is being read by many people whose opinions I respect. So just you know, so I can add to the list of crap you got to read right now. Okay, yeah, I, I like that. Okay. Which, by yeah. the way, just and it's sort of a yang to your uh, literary yin. So you are busy reading two Barack Obama books, perhaps uh, an upcoming book about the Federal Reserve, and reading the Treasury website to understand economic acronyms. Yes. I am preparing to read the first two books in the Twilight series. Oh. And uh, and I am simultaneously reading uh, the third Dexter book and a book about John Lennon. So there you go. So I didn't even know the Dexter books. Wait, was it a book first? I don't yes. even know about that. Yeah, Jeff Lindsay wrote a series of Dexter novels that were then spun off into the television series. Ah, and the third book, how's it so far? I take it back. I'm actually reading the second uh, Dexter book. It's good. It's good. They're pulpy, but good. Okay. Uh, I would not say that they're that well written but they are sort of compulsively readable here's the thing about jeff Lindsay. i mean i know you know he's a successful author and i'm not that said um the, the books are written sort of clunkily uh you know they're not it's not a very smooth kind of writing but just the premise and the hook of dexter as you know serial killer who kills other serial killers it is it is such a sort of darkly gripping premise that that kind of yeah, it, yeah. It, that is enough to sort of propel you past the fact that it's yeah, written right. in sort of a ham-handed style right all right. Well, Meanwhile, I feel my my next door my next door neighbor, who really should be a character in a TV sitcom, um, has given me uh, the other Bolin girl, uh, which she's like, oh, you need to read this. You've been reading too many serious books, and so it just sits there, and I'm, I'm dreading the day that she, you know, because I, I mean, I just I kind of look at it and I'm like, who who are you? Why are you in my living room? What what is the other the other do what? Remember, do you remember this? This was the there there was a movie made of this with Scarlett Johansson. And oh, who is this? Is this like some? Is this some chick book? I, I am. I'm just guessing. I think it's supposed to be um, kind of a historical rewrite uh, about you know Anne Boleyn and her sister, the whole Henry VIII thing. And it's supposed to be very, very saucy and very, you know, very kind of uh, name of the rose for girls. Maybe. The name of the rose for girls. I by the way, can I tell you that's the first time that phrase has ever been uttered by anybody ever. <laughs> no one else has ever said that. Which I don't want. I want the name of the rose. I don't want the name of the rose for girls. Well, you know, you could probably go buy that book. It uh, it probably is right. You know, Umberto e Echoes. Uh, Umberto Echo. Yeah, it was such a great book. It was a great book, but I don't. I don't need. Yeah. So I just kind of look at it. Kind of give it dirty looks across the room. I'd avoid the inferior film adaptation of Name of the Rose. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. The presence of Sean Connery notwithstanding is standing. It's not the. I wouldn't recommend it. So See? I do wonder what happened. If, if you know the actress who played uh, the, the sort of Amazon slash Neanderthal woman. 
that was uh, the lust, the uh, the Christian Slater's uh, you know object of lust. I would be amazed because I don't know who it was. All right, so we're now actually talking about a specific actress in a film adaptation yeah. of a book about a murder set in like a monastery. Yes. All right. Well, that's that's what makes this program great and awful. Lisa, <laughs> but mainly great. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I, you'll find that when it comes to fiction, especially, I'm almost no roadmap there because the amount of fiction I read is is, is finite. I mean, it's very, very small. I'm not much of a fiction guy. So. All right. Well, that that said, um, oh, and by the way, but just one final note, I do kind of share your book guilt, which is sort of like movie guilt, too. It's like when someone gives it, you a DVD to watch. Yes. And they're like, you really ought to watch this. And it's like, have you noticed this, too? Even, and in fact, sometimes especially if it's someone whose opinion you really do respect, they're like, no, no, you really got to watch this film. It's great. And it's someone, and you know that they're smart. You know they've got good taste. You know that they wouldn't recommend stuff that's crap. But it's like you might be inclined to watch a movie, but when someone asks you to watch it, suddenly you don't want to. <laughs> Am I the only one who gets that phenomenon where it's like, yes. hey, I keep meaning to watch that film, and somebody appears with a DVD at work. Here you go. I own it. You should watch it tonight. And it's like once they've given you the DVD to watch, suddenly your desire to watch it vanishes. And you kind of, you sort of resent that they've given it to you. You're like, why did you give me, now yeah, I'm going to resent you. You've got to kick it around in your living room, it's on the floor for no, for no reason. Because then it becomes like work, right? Then it becomes like this <laughs> obligation, this thing you have to do. Like this guy here, Dave Zinn, gave me Wet Hot American Summer with Janine Garofalo. Keep meaning to watch it. I probably would have, except he gave it to me to watch, and then then I got all like, risen. That's like me with the Iron Giant, how you keep telling me that's the most beautiful movie ever, and I've had it for what, like four months? I'm just saying. And it breaks my heart every day that I you haven't watch watched it. I will watch Iron Giant if you watch What Hot American Summer, because that is a hilarious, great movie. Well, but it shouldn't be. See, you shouldn't watch it because, but see, then it is a sense of obligation. You should watch it because you want to watch it. Because otherwise, see, the, because if you only watch it, like, so I'll watch something else, then I feel that, like, that is, then I feel you're doing no, yourself no, I, a disservice. But, but isn't the end result the same? I don't know what that means. I mean, I'm, I'm watching the movie regardless. Well, but if you're going to watch it regardless, then it shouldn't. Then it should be regardless. That's what regardless you're means. You're being silly. Okay. I'm just saying. I don't want you to, to do it out of a because, like, if I were to go home tonight and watch White American Summer, then. But I don't know what uh, Iron Giant's about, so therefore I don't know if I'm in the mood for that movie. I told so, you. I mean, I need somebody. I, yeah, exactly. But you told me, so I therefore have, I'll watch it. I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't now. know what we're talking I'm about. I'm saying you should watch it if you want to watch it, but don't if you don't. Because if I watch What American Summer, What American Summer, then you're going to have to watch The Iron Giant, and then it's going to be totally work, and then you'll be, then you'll resent me. Yeah, but you're even not more. In. How many times have you not wanted to go out to a party or go out to something, and you get there and you're like, hey, I'm glad I came out. Oh no, that's true. And and I mean, when someone recommends a book or a movie, and I finally do, just like, fine, I'll watch it. And it always starts out as like getting them off my back. That's the thing. When someone lends me a movie or a book, and I finally am like. Fine, bastards. I'll put it in. I'll watch it. Are you happy now, you savages? And I'll put it on and watch it. And I'm always like, this is really great. I'm glad I watched this. It's just the getting over the, it is the getting over the hump of of wanting to put it in. The chewing on the bark, yeah. I don't know what that means, but sure. I put that uh, in there to just, uh, yeah. We are, and as we sometimes do in this program, we have now yet again begun discussing a uniquely American problem. <laughs> Can I tell you, my wife called me from Bolivia the other day where she was spending her birthday. Oh, and, of course she was. And no lie, I'm not exaggerating for comedic purposes. She was staying because, you know, the deal is, you know, there's no, like, well, she was going through the Amazon and then through this, like, really, really bad part of Bolivia. And, you know, as she just got, it's like, there's no, you know, no hotels, no Motel 6. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're walking through the jungle and you're staying in a village with, you know, these sort of tribes that live there. You know, and is you know no running water, no electricity, no nothing. And she said that the vast majority of people were living in, no lie, houses either made out of woven together sticks 
or houses just made out of mud, like sort of adobe houses. And, you know, and so meanwhile we're sitting here, I did so much work to go home and put a DVD into the machine and then order a pizza with my magical cell phone that can call anywhere in the world with the push of seven buttons. You know, my wife, I swear to God, my wife called me the other day, she's eating a bowl of larvae for dinner, you know? So, I mean, there you go. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, here we are. Of course, this is going to make the rest of the world's life harder. But here we are. Oh, what do you guys think? Another six hundred billion? Another eight hundred billion? I can I ask what you, do you think? a dumb question? Yeah. So this this additional twenty billion trillion? I forget even the prefix that we're talking about for Citigroup. Where is that coming from? I mean, we don't have any money, right? We're broke. Okay. Right. That one's easy. The Citigroup money. Now, at this point, Citigroup has $45 billion of government money that is flowing its way. Uh, that money is money that we're borrowing, and it's part of that $700 billion that uh, the, the big bailout package that Congress approved. Now, here's where it gets tricky is that this morning the Federal Reserve and the Treasury announced it, – it gets very complicated here – but they announced that they are now launching essentially um, $800 billion in new programs – a very small part of that $800 billion, um, just $20 billion, is from that first bailout. But, but other than that, it's essentially $780 billion in new spending, or up to. It's kind of, we don't know exactly how much will be spent, but it's up to almost $800 billion in new spending on top of uh, the roughly $350 billion that we've already spent because the 700 I know this is so confusing that first 700 little chunk right they've only got they've only got the authority to use half of it so far they've been saving the other half for when Barack Obama comes into office so so they're almost maxed out at 350 right now on that so they take that 350 and put it aside that's pretty much all spent but but I guess my question is yeah where is that but I mean we're borrowing it we don't from have where that. though like where are we borrowing it from uh, we float bonds, and then uh, people from around the world can can buy them. Uh, and you know, in general, it, I think that I read somewhere that uh, that it was much earlier this year that you know Canadians own like a huge amount of American bonds. Uh, but of course, the Chinese can buy some too, and so can the Japanese, and so can Americans. But it's it's debt that we have floated all around the world. And with the Federal Reserve now, it's it's tricky. Now that is that is money that the government in general uh, uses for its. You know, like a, like it's big checking account. You know, like you've got your general checking account. We're borrowing money for that general checking account so that we can help out Wall Street. Now, separately, talking about the Federal Reserve and what they were doing today, the Federal Reserve has its own mechanisms for essentially uh, – I don't want to use the word creating money because it's not printing money. It's not really creating it. But the Federal Reserve, because it is the nation's bank, has a whole separate way that it, it can actually raise money uh, based on – uh, it, its role as the banking institution. So very and, confusing. And so essentially, I mean, it, it gets very complicated, but essentially the Federal Reserve is, is separately raising all of this money or using its authority to spend money. But ultimately, that money either has to be paid back to the Federal Reserve or it, we will, it will be money that the U.S. taxpayer will lose. You know, it will again be a loan. I, I would be curious to know. I mean, because it seems like there's so many things we could be doing in this country, both as individuals and as, you know, governments, to, to make money. I, it seem, doesn't it seem inevitable to you that one of these, one of these cities that's being hit real hard by this whole huge, just tangled web of, of, you know, of just economic implosion. You tell, like, Detroit is an obvious example. Doesn't it seem inevitable that you're going to get a place like Detroit, 
that is just going to say, screw it. Starting tomorrow, we are going to begin, uh, you know, whorehouses everywhere. I mean, that, I mean, right that I mean that I'm not, that cities really are going to, and states are going to have to start looking at some sort of unconventional uh, ways to start bringing in some revenue for their, for their bankrupt states. Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, in fact, we saw uh, the state of Maryland vote on whether or not to um, allow slots inside the state just right. last November. So I think you're going to see a, a lot of that. And, of course, the problem is, you know, some of those some of those ways of raising money are great for the state in the short term, but they can be very bad for the population in the long term. But, I mean, it's everyone's choice if you want to gamble or not, if you want to uh, whore around. You know, it's, it's your choice. But what? But it, but it's still it's it's very tricky short term versus long term. Well, I would tell you somebody who's going to blow uh, you know blow the family's rent money on a slot machine is probably the same guy who decided to buy his family a three million dollar house based on his fifty thousand <laughs> income. So I don't really know that you're saving that guy from anything. Right. That's just my uh, my observation. Right. But uh, I mean, it is it all in the end. And I think what we've got to be careful about now is all bets are off. Everyone, including President Elect Obama, is saying the economy is so bad. That we are not even, we're not going to worry about our debt. We can't worry about it. We are in crisis mode. We are free falling through the sky. The parachute is not coming out of the backpack. We have got to do everything we can uh, to get this economy going. But the problem is, um, it's, it's going to take so much money that once, you know, once we are on solid ground again, uh, then we're going to have huge, huge debts. And, and this isn't even dealing with Social Security, Medicare, which are entirely separate problems. So we will have, uh, right now, we have $11 trillion in debt. And on top of that, we'll have problems with Social Security and Medicare. So um, there you go. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Uh, this, this giant throbbing headache brought to you by CNN Radio. All right. Are you on tomorrow? So we can get more of this, uh, more of this glorious pick-me-up. <laughs> yes. All yes. right. What are the odds? Uh, let's say on a scale of one to ten, that you'll have watched the Mr. T uh, infomercial by the time we talk tomorrow. I'm giving it a ten. Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Do you, I mean, I'm giving you giving one chance to revise that. No, it's a ten. It's or a, it leads to more heartbreak. I me. will. I will watch it by tomorrow. I will. All right. What do I get to do if you don't? And like, if, if this if by this time tomorrow you haven't, what 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 do I get? Uh, you can you can decide you can have, have uh, but but I know I ask I ask. All right, here's the thing. If you ha- if by this time tomorrow, and I will trust you to be honest with me, if by this time tomorrow you have not watched that Mr. T informational link I sent you, you must come on the uh, radio program here and sing uh, "Total Eclipse of the Heart." Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, so we okay. We're gonna hold you to it. Done. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you okay, soon. You too. Oh, there you go. Lisa Desjardins. Total Eclipse of the Heart. By the way, key phrase from Lisa Dan today, whore around. Also, this throbbing headache brought to you by CNN Radio. Uh, hi. the AP style book. Yeah, exactly. Whore around in both capitals there. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. This is Lisa. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Tim. That Lisa Desjardins is frighteningly smart. No, she really is. She kind of freaks me out sometimes. I like her so much that she scares me a little bit. <laughs> no, she's unnerving, but great. She would intimidate me sitting across the table. No, because you realize I like, that... I like her a lot. Yeah, you realize that she like she has forgotten more by breakfast than like I will ever be able to learn, yes. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. What's up? Well, I'm actually calling to talk to Sarah because I'm calling to geek out about Iron Giant. Okay, okay. And Sarah, when that came out in theaters, what, 10 or 12 years ago? Uh, Yeah, it was the uh, late 90s. Right. I, I went, I saw it in the theater... And I, for the first and only time ever, watching a film in a theater, forgot where I was. And it was an animated film I was watching. I was so absorbed in that movie and so moved by it. 
And um, I just, I, on my top ten list, and I can't recommend it highly enough. So I hope you will watch it because you get excited to watch it and not because you feel obligated or guilty to watch it. Okay, well, that makes me sound, um, makes me kind of excited. And I've heard Rick talk about it for years about how it's yeah. one of his favorite movies. Makes me so cry really like a want, girl. I do want to sit down oh, and watch it. Oh, cry like a baby. Cried like a baby and just I love that movie. It's just a great film. And All right, anyway, that's a... So I, I think if you watch it and don't like it, I think maybe Rick should sing um, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, see, now you're giving her inducements a lie. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, thanks. Have a great weekend. Right, Bye-bye. Thank you. It doesn't seem like it'll be possible for me to not like well, it. Well, I'll see, but I don't want to see. But you say that, like, I guarantee you with everything in me. I mean, who knows? People people are all different. Well, you but... and I have had different tastes, like when you made me watch, didn't make me, when you allowed me to borrow Heavenly Creatures. Right. Which is just like, to me, just like a lesbian porn film. And you're just like, it's... See, and I don't see that, I don't see that but at all. I saw. I also saw the unedited... Um, oh, you said there's like the director's cut or whatever. Yeah. There's more of that. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I saw the naughty version. I suppose. I mean, there's that whole like whatever. There's like that fantasy sequence or whatever they have. So mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. Um, let's see. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. On the well, I got a couple things on the Iron Giant thing. Yes. Um, I bought that movie strictly on uh, Rick's reference. Yes. And I bought it by Little Boys, the one that came out was talking about Star Wars. that brought in the stun gun. Right. Oh, yeah, um, right, okay, yeah. So I bought that movie for him, and my son loved it. And then I'm sitting there, of course, watching it, and I have more kid movies that I've seen. It's freaking ridiculous. Right. But it's actually a really, really good movie. I was surprised. It's probably the best thing I've ever seen Vin Diesel do also. Yeah, well, that, and you wouldn't even really know it's Vin Diesel because they sort of electronically alter his voice. Yeah, I had no idea it was him. Yeah, no, it, I'll give, I mean, not that we're setting the bar terribly high uh, with this, <laughs> but yeah, no, it is, it is far and away the best thing Vin Diesel will ever have. Vin Diesel should get down on his hands and knees and thank God Almighty uh, that he did the Iron Giant because now he can always point to go, no, no, no. Remember that, that I did giant. this. Remember I did this one movie that you liked, and also uh, somebody who I kind of run hot and cold on is Jennifer Aniston, and she's really yeah. good at that too. So yeah, yeah. excellent. All right. Um, and then the other thing is, if the government's going to give six hundred, what six hundred billion dollars to Citibank or yes. something, yes. does that mean I no longer owe them fifteen hundred dollars so that I can put that back into the economy instead of paying off my credit card? Tim, absolutely. All right, feel free. We have for permission, sir. Welsh awesome. away. Awesome. I'm not going to pay them. They can get screwed. Good for you. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Bye now. Let's all refuse to pay our debts. All right. And I'll end up in... uh, They don't have debtor's prison anymore, though. No, the poorhouse. They just have a guy who calls you and, you know, browbeats you while you're at work. Mm -hmm. All right. Hello, Tim Riley. Hello. How are you today? Fine, thank you. An economy of words. Uh, back after this, uh, we'll go to Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, later on, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, uh, Don Taylor from Film.com. Top five and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere, kids. Uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, more phone calls here in just a uh, short while. And uh, more this, however, at the Ministry of Truth is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, 
from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Indeed. So beside uh, dogs riding atop vacuum cleaners and cats to our top story, Jennifer Aniston has topped a new poll of celebrity guests that people would most like to spend Thanksgiving with. Jennifer Aniston? Yes. As America prepares to celebrate the holiday, Internet users have been given the opportunity to choose their dream Thanksgiving guest. And Jennifer Aniston won with 26% of the votes. Here's the thing about Jennifer Aniston. I'm not, I wouldn't be opposed to having dinner with her. She seems like a nice enough person. But it's just, uh, but you don't really think of it. You know, be like Sandra Bullock. Yeah, she's not really top of mind anymore. Yeah, that's like who? I would just picture her chain smoking in the backyard with my cousin and bitching about Brad Pitt. <laughs> and then he says he's going to call. And he doesn't call. And I mean, it's like, I'm fine if you want to spend time with your friends. But don't tell me you're going to call and then not call. It's just, I mean, it's just, you know, it's really... You know, sometimes I just wonder where we're going with all of this. I just, do you have any more cranberries? You know, just to them is going on. I, to That's be the best Jennifer Aniston I've ever heard. <laughs> that, is, is she going to appear on Outlook Portland? You're, hand puppet? You're such a flatterer. I should totally do that. Oh, my Look God. I started. I'm going to get him fired. OMG. I, I should completely, I should completely do celebrity guests, but as a sock puppet. Yes. Is it Outlook Portland, Jennifer Aniston? Hello. And then it's just a sock puppet. Next time you're having a brainstorming session, I know how to save the show a lot of money. Seriously. Well, don't suggest that next thing and I'll be doing this. I'll be doing this show. Uh, with Somebody my... will be doing you as a sock puppet. I was going to say, I'll be doing this. I'll be doing this show, but I'll be made out of felt. Um, no, no, no. We found the best way for the Rick Emerson show to save money is to have Rick Emerson be replaced by a sock. So, well, I, I got to tell you, was it was uh, it was interesting uh, this morning to have Byron interacting with a sock puppet. So, especially the sock, the best part, and not to be all about like how how great I am. The best point this morning. Not was, that we ever do that. Here. No, the, the sock puppet, the family values a socko, the family values puppet this morning. Look, Portland, look, looking at Byron and going, but Byron, what about the children? <laughs> I mean, it really. It was. Uh, it sounds like a serious debate. <laughs> it was, no one would call me back. I mean, seriously. It was like every church just had their answering machine disconnected or and something. And people stand behind their big groups of, you know, all that stuff. And then when it comes out to singling them as an individual, nobody wants to talk. Not even a Mormon? No. I, I fear that um, maybe the, the – I fear that the relative local uh, fame of the show may have may have contributed to that. I think that they might have they might have felt like they were going to come on and, get, and be berated by me. But but that program is you as you have never been seen. Before. That's what I'm that's saying. That's a different different Rick Emerson. Rick Emerson breaking whole new ground. I, I know, and that's why I actually don't do. That's why I have uh, Cheryl call folks like that because then she can you know she can sort of uh, you know say no 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 it's going to be a very fair and even handed program. He'll be there as moderator, but you know, who's to say? All right, well I'm filing that I'm filing that idea away. So like when we can't get Mark Wahlberg on, we'll have like a sock puppet come on as Mark Wahlberg, and maybe the sock puppet. Can... <laughs> And you can have a variety of costumes backstage. And, and, Ready for a quick costume change. I was just going to say, maybe the sock puppet, it'd be the same sock puppet every time with the, the bad drawn-on eyes, but the sock puppet could have one tiny little costume addition or prop every week. different colored yarn for, like, different colors of hair. Exactly. So for, like, Jennifer Anson, little hat. For Mark Wahlberg. And a little cigarette. Yeah, and for Mark Wahlberg, it'd be, like, uh... Different kinds of eyes, like M&M's or Mike and Ice. Mark Wahlberg would have to be underwear. Totally, Mark. Yeah, exactly. And for M M&M and M, be like a little, uh, you know, like a little bleachy, a uh, little bleachy uh, yellow yarn on top, and a do. There you go. Uh, we're gonna get him fired. We should totally. <laughs> for every week on Hotlake Portland, I should do like a, a celebrity, uh, like a Springer's final thought. But you know, now with Springer's final, you know, now we're the final thought. Mark Wahlberg as a sock puppet. Well, Rick, let me just say, and it's a sock puppet. 
Okay, I'm totally doing that. You heard the idea originate here. That's fantastic. Here's Tim Riley. So just to make the uh, the holiday cheerful, we have two free Thanksgiving pitbull attacks. All right. Oh, I got to start getting that joy of Christmas thing ready. Yes, you should. All right. Is that still in there? I'm not sure. Uh, it's like, uh, what is it called? We So we'll, uh... The best part is at the end when he says, hey, look, everybody, it sounds like he's cleaning the gun and inadvertently kills himself at the end. Um, well, we'll officially unveil that, uh, our first show after Thanksgiving, but uh, here's Tim Riley. An aggressive pit bull that jumped into the backyard and uh, attacked two other dogs has been shot and killed by a Portland police officer, as it should have been. Misunderstood animals, Tim. After all, collies are always attacking other yeah, dogs. True. Never read about that. No, that's true. This happened in the 8100 block of Southeast 72nd, around 815. After a report, two pit bulls got into the yard of a home and were attacking three other dogs. Uh, so, cop shot the dog and it deserved it, basically. There's another pit bull attack, this time on Madras. A uh, pit bull bit a six-year-old Madras girl, and it is scheduled to be euthanized today. Hooray. Uh, the girl returned to school. Not the, not the, the girl. Pool. No, the dog. The pit bull. Uh, okay. Uh, the first time since she tried to give her, don't try to kiss a pit bull. Really? Girl. Did she try to give the pit bull a hug? Mm-hmm. Oh, that uh, yeah, that ends that ends poorly for everyone. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. I had more hugging stories here too. Now here we go. A panda at a zoo in China attacked a student who snuck into its pen, hoping to cuddle with the endangered bear. The 20-year-old student, uh, surnamed Lou, uh, jumped over the fence, and they, this uh, person ignored the warnings. The panda name Yang Yang was wide awake. Apparently scared by the intruder, it bit uh, Louis' arms and legs. They quoted an unnamed worker as saying, after zookeepers managed to calm the bear and rescue the man, uh, he said, oh, the bear is so cute, I just wanted to cuddle him. <laughs> really? I didn't expect to be attacked. Is he even cuter when he's covered in your entrails, friend? Uh, do panda bears roar? Like the MGM lion? Well, like a thing, like, like a bear, I guess. Because bear, you know, like a grizzly bear, they roar, right? Uh-huh. That's a whole lot of like, roar, and then it kills you. Uh-huh. I wonder if panda bears roar, because wouldn't that be uniquely terrifying? Because you don't expect them to. Even knowing they're bears, we've been sort of like, you know, they've been so anthropomorphized to us. We were trained to think that they're like cute and cuddly, and they're, they're like little teddy bears. But, I mean, they're bears. they got claws and fangs, and they'll kill you. Yes. And they're carnivores, I think. They eat bamboo, but I think they also eat, you know, like folks. So it'd be interesting to know if panda bears were also koala bears. Like, is a koala bear danger? You get in there and screw with a koala bear, is it going to kill you? How big is a koala imagine. bear? Oh, it's not that big. It's koala like, bears look friendly, but they have the... Animal. But they, they have razor-sharp claws, claws yeah. right? They can climb trees and whatnot. Yes. So oh, they can tear you apart. I think it would be fantastic if a guy was held down and killed and torn to pieces by five or six koala bears. Well, we can only hope for that. And if it was all caught on camera. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be deeply satisfying? Oh, they're so cute. Ah! And then just eat a five or six koala bears. Well, he was messing with them or trying to hurt them in any way. Yeah, but it was like he was in their enclosure. Oh, uh, dude, I'm gonna jump in and take a koala bear home to Shanice. She'll really like it. And then you immediately, and then you just jump cut to like a koala bear just going and just pulling out his tongue. I think that'd be deeply satisfying to that watch. That would make the holiday season merry. It would, Tim. A man who told police he was a Cuban wrestler after fighting six officers has been sentenced to six days in jail, one day per officer. The self-proclaimed five-time champion wrestler. Walter Termovico pled yesterday to assaulting Gresham police officers and resisting arrest. He was credited for two days already served and will have to spend four more days in addition to 80 hours of community service, also an alcohol treatment program. He received three years probation. 
A worker at the Gresham Plaid Pantry called 911 when the wrestler became a belligerent and refused to leave. So police got there, and they tried to escort the wrestler from the store, but he fought back. He was incredibly strong, although they used a taser on him three times. It had no effect. Three police officers sustained injuries. Gresham police said uh, once he was in custody, he told them, you must have the wrong one. Isn't, so, he's a, so, uh, so he's a Cuban wrestler who just wouldn't leave a plaid pantry. Right. Are you picturing him? I remember we had somebody call in who said that he met this guy. That's right. Are you picturing him in like a like a strong bad like wrestling mask though? Mm. Sort of like, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. I am just choosing between these two mild liquors. Or the famous mysterious, mysterious actor like Mexican wrestling mask. Totally. Yeah. Climbing the side of the Empire State Building, swatting at planes. Oh, that's a different movie. <laughs> why would Why would a Cuban wrestler be climbing the side of the Empire State Building? I just thought it was a monstrous wrestler climbing a building. Oh, I see. All right. Okay. Yeah. So you're sort of uh, you're you're sort of conflating the two. Yes. All right. Excellent. That's exactly what I meant. All right. A uh, shooting and robbery at a Portland motel left a man wounded. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but we have more on it. Remember we told you about the Del Rancho Motel on Southeast 82nd? The home of luxury. Flavel? Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. The shooting victim said he didn't want to be identified. Two attackers entered his motel room, and he thought it was a joke. He said, and then the guy said, this is no joke. I'm going to rob you. I'm going to shoot you if you don't give me the money. He said he tried to get out of the motel room, but the attacker shot him anyway, punched him, kicked him as he was running out the door. As of last night, the intruders are still on the run. Another guest said he pays $300 a week for his family to live there, and this time is the last straw. He's moving out of this motel forever. So he's been paying... So that's like... I always wonder about this, because that's like $1,200 a month. Yeah, how can people afford that? Well, that's what my thing is. Like, if you can afford... It could be like Section 8. I but But he pays it, though. Yeah. So if you can afford $1,200 a month for a hotel, you could afford, like... St. John's. I mean, yeah. Well, you could afford, like, to rent a house somewhere. You could. I mean, I guess maybe it's all about, like, saving up the money. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you lived in a shelter for 30 days, you could save enough money to do, like, first and last month's rent in some, like, a small apartment. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I just... I don't understand people, Tim. You know how people are. I really do. And and yet, not at all. Uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hey, I had a question for you, man. Um... I started reading Youth and Revolt. Now, yes, I remember you saying that there are two books not to read. Yeah, or... um, yeah, Youth and Revolt by C.D. Payne, which, right. let's not be confused, is divided into three sections. Three books. Right. Wait, it's divided into, yeah, Youth and Youth and Bondage, Youth and Revolt, Nothing Youth else. and Exile. Right, there you go. That is, you know, those are in the three sections, basically. In, and the reason is because a long time ago, he, he published a bunch of those like as a self-publishing thing in the Bay Area, and then oh, okay. they were picked up and published. Um, so, yeah, the, what you want to avoid, though, are subsequent novels, and I think the, I think the first one is actually called Revolting Youth. Oh, so, okay. well, yeah, don't, don't read any of those follow-up books. But the first three sort of novelettes or whatever that are put into that one big book, that's fine. Just don't read any of the follow-up novels. Yeah, because I'm loving it, and I just got started on the Youth in Exile, the yeah. second book of the of the Youth in Revolt. Yeah, and loving it, just yeah. loving it. No, that also, whole collection is fantastic. Just don't read any of the follow up works. No, I won't. Um, also, I had another question: the um, the Heart of the Sea or whatever. In the Heart of the that? Sea, uh, Nathaniel okay. Philbrick is his name. Nathaniel Philbrick. Okay. Available at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, sir. Yes, in fact, I'm almost on my way out there now. Really? Um, are you are you headed to Powell's Books at Cedar Hills no. Crossing as we speak? No. All right. When will you be, sir? Um, probably this weekend. All right. So you will be going to Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing at 3415 Southeast Cedar Hills Boulevard, where Hall and Cedar Hills Boulevard intersect. Will you be looking for the, as heard on the Rick Emerson Show table? Absolutely. All right. There you go. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Attention people who are not yet advertising on the Rick Emerson Show. In your face! You should be.
All right. Here's Tim Riley. Four protesters in the Westboro Baptist Church of Kansas were in Silverton yesterday to protest the election of the nation's first openly transgender mayor. Of course, he's going to keep his position. He's not going to quit just because these hooligans come in here. The protesters arrived with an assortment of signs such as, God hates you, and Barack Obama is anti-Christ. But the time created the visitors with a festive counter-protest. More than 100 people paraded in the streets. Some men wore women's clothing and showed support for Rasmussen. So, so wait, now, is this, this is the uh, the Westboro nitwits? Yeah. Um, so I was to understand, somebody told me that there was actually, and this is the way that these idiots uh, usually come out, that there was only four of them, mm-hmm. and that there were, in fact, 200 protesters. Yes. Is that true? Mm-hmm. So that's the, because that's like how it always is in uh, in Idaho, uh, like in Coeur d'Alene and, you know, and whatever, they'll have these, like, these idiot uh, Nazis, these neo-Nazi clan types mm-hmm. that will come out once a year in Coeur d'Alene. Which is an otherwise wonderful. I was talking to Sarah Wagner about that today because I was like, "Well, what are, what are you doing for uh, you know Thanksgiving?" She's like, "I'm going to Spokane," oh. and I said, "Well, that sucks." And she said, "Well, this is near Coeur d'Alene. We start talking about Coeur d'Alene. Have you been to Coeur d'Alene, Tim?" No, I, I've never been that far in that direction. Well, you probably don't want to go. It's, is it just dirt? Well, see, this is the thing is like Coeur d'Alene's beautiful. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene in Idaho is a wholly beautiful, amazing place. But the thing is, it's just not worth it. Like, it's in... Uh, here's what would make Coeur d'Alene even better, if it wasn't in Idaho. In fact, we should sort of... Like, we should buy it from them. We should buy Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, and you can tell it's great and not like Idaho, because it has a French name. We should buy Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and then, like, cut it out of the ground and move it somewhere else. Like, here. Uh, uh, you know, because it's just not worth going to Idaho or Spokane to see it. But Coeur d'Alene is a very beautiful, wonderful little town. Sort of like an Aspen kind of a vibe. But then once a year, these idiot neo-Nazis come and they march through. But there's always like 12 neo-Nazis and then the 500 protesters. And it's just uh, it's just pointless. It's better just to ignore them. Yeah, my friend Amanda Pants went to that um, protest yesterday. In Silverton? Yeah, and she said, yeah, there were four people, two adults, and then two like younger kids, like 16 and 17, just standing there holding signs. It's like they're it. franchising it now. They can't even afford to send the whole team. So it's like uh, it's like that time we saw the Goo Goo Dolls and all they sent was Johnny Resnick. <laughs> like they didn't want to send anybody else. Except yesterday it wasn't even Johnny Resnick. They were just sending like Rob Takak or whatever his name is. Um, just all... one Goo Doll. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just the Goo. Um, the <laughs> why are they called the Goo Goo Dolls? Does anybody know? We I think we looked it up at some point, but I don't remember why. Let's not confuse this with me caring about the Goo Goo Dolls at this point, but. Um, I, I realize now I don't know. All right. Well, whatever. Um, the Goo Goo Dolls are another one of those bands that you always have to, like, qualify a statement with. And you go, like, when you talk about how at one point you like them, you have to sort of note that it's before they became crap. Uh, what was that? Oh, so what did one of the signs say? Barack Obama is Antichrist? Yes. Not the Antichrist. It is. Is that? Is, it, is, is Antichrist. Is Antichrist like a state of being now or a? You know, like that's an, one of them. On, he's, he's an adverb. It's sort of like saying, like, Barack Obama is spiffy. And are those signs carry-on luggage, or are they put through the regular baggage cycle? That's a good question. Do they have to buy the materials to make signs when they get here? Or can they check? Can I uh, check this Barack Obama is Antichrist sign? That, no, it fits in this little, no, it fits in the little metal slot. Put it under your seat. Yeah, no, what if, I, what if it goes in the overhead? I mean, I know it's going to shift during, you know, travel, but... I mean, maybe next to the blank. Okay, great. That's wonderful. Thanks. Um, by the way, did I tell you about my nutcase older brother? No, but I'd like to hear about it. Uh, is this the weight one, like the one who lifts a lot of weights and is all in shape and stuff? No, he's my younger brother who is not a nutcase. Okay. Uh, he's my, he's the lone non-nutcase. He's, in fact, the only... 
I hesitate to say this. He's the only member of my family, period, that's not crazy. Let's put it that way. And and I, that includes my mother, who I love. My mom is now a sort of, you know, my mom at this point is an innocuous, gentle kind of crazy. Still crazy. But I would say uh, my mom now is a lovable, harmless kind of crazy. Everybody else in my family is is completely full-on nuts, though. That includes my sister, who used to be normal. Uh, now, not so much. But um, it's like, and I don't mean that, it sounds sometimes like we pick out religion a lot. I don't mean to do that, but I... But it's like that weird thing where my sister was like, normal, 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 normal. Jesus! You know, it's like that, like one day, it's like a switch flipped one day, and suddenly everything she told me had to do with in accordance with prophecy, Rick, and the book of Revelation. I mean, I just don't, I don't really understand what the tipping point was. It was, uh, so I'm convinced that there is like another planet somewhere where my actual sister is being held, and like the crazy Jesus sister here is like, it's like in The Last Starfighter when they send down that fake Alex uh, Rogan to live in the trailer park. But, um, no, my younger brother James, is uh, he's the only normal member of the family. And that includes me, by the way. He's the only He got all the sane genes. Everybody else crazy. M- uh, my oldest brother, uh, Wayne, uh, is, uh, I can, he's, he's now, I mean, I was going to say that he's not going to hear this because I know he's not. He's, A, he's living in Texas where all the crazy people go. Mm-hmm. B, I don't think he uses the Internet anymore because I think it's tool Satan because everything is. So my, my brother Wayne, his wife, their two daughters, their son, all of the daughters and sons-in-law, and all of the grandchildren, all told, I mean, it's like 25 people. They're all living on a um, commune, which is really like a nutcase compound. They call it a commune or a collective or something. It's really a nutcase religious compound in, in Texas. And they are hiding out in Texas because, yes, Tim, Barack Obama is the fabled Antichrist. And when Bar- and they were afraid of it. When he, even when he started announcing he was going to run, mm-hmm. this is before he was elected. When he said like, yeah, and, and I'm going to be running for president, and my brother's like, pack it up, we're moving to Texas. The Antichrist is here. So like the Antichrist can't find you in Texas, first of all. I mean, it's the Antichrist. I sure he tra- does. It occur to you that he traveled all over the country in an airplane campaigning? He can fly to Texas to kill you. I mean, I mean, he's become president. That's so true. What what protection does Texas warrant? None. Why would, they think it? Why would they think that it's Texas cancer? doesn't protect you from anything? It can't even protect you from cancer. So I mean, look, Texans can't even protect themselves from illegal immigrants. I mean, you know what I mean? They can't even. They, Texans can't can't protect themselves against unemployment. So the idea that the Antichrist is damn you, flying to Texas, me without my frequent flyer miles, I'll get you again sometime. So. My brother and his whole crazy family, and this is the uh, this is the brother where like the girls aren't allowed to wear makeup or cut their hair or wear jewelry, and even when they would go swimming as little kids, I felt so bad they had to wear ankle length dresses. They had to wear dresses that went all the way down to their feet, because you know, because God doesn't want to see your naughty ankles, you know, and your knees. Well, it or gives whatever. kids ideas. Yeah, <laughs> like 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 thinking, gives them ideas like free like free thought. Um, uh, uh, whatever. Anyway, so blah, 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 blah. They're crazy. So they all go down to Texas because they're afraid that Barack Obama, who, of course, is the fabled Antichrist, is going to win. So when I can't believe I didn't tell you guys this. So when Barack Obama did, in fact, win the presidency, my mom got some sort of a letter. I don't think they email anymore, but they, they, she got some sort of like a telegram or whatever from my from my nutcase uh, family in Texas saying, see if you can spot the code word in this sentence. Saying, now that Barack Obama has won, they are, wait for it, gathering food and supplies, you know, for the hard times to come. And supplies, of course, means guns. We all know that. 
So one of these days, you're going to turn on the television, and you're going to see uh, any any number of my family members being arrested in Texas, just like FYI. So good times to come. Here's Tim Riley. The Tualatin Town Council has tried to block the liquor license for a new strip club. They voted unanimously last night to recommend the OLCC. Denied the owner of Stars Cabaret a liquor license for a new club in Tualatin, right across from Bridgeport Village. Woo! Residents and nearby business owners packed to Alton City Hall last night. Dozens testified against granting the liquor license. So we'll see what happens with that. liquor. Uh, the uh, and by the way, you, but you can add them to the list of people who will also not return our calls to be on Outlook Portland. Seriously, not the strictly, but the people who are opposed to it. The family research, liberty, tight ass, whatever they are. You know the group of like I'm afraid of breasts because there's some uh, city group, and I can say this now: they're not returning our calls anyway. So there's some city concerned citizens whatever, protect our children group uh, that is trying to keep that strip club out of there. And I keep trying to get them to call back, and they just won't. So I think it's a bad time to be a conservative. They just don't want to do it. They don't want to do uh, anything anywhere now. Well, we're getting close to the holidays. Nobody returns phone calls or emails. That is true. Regardless of how trivial they may be. That's right. Here's Tim Riley. So according to the headlines, uh, Russia has renewed the Cold War. I guess they just checked a little box, and it's it's an instant renewal. So they're in Venezuela, and they have a new president who wears uh, really old-fashioned ties. So the Cold War uh, rhetoric is continuing in the Kremlin as they blame the United States for the global financial crisis. Russia has warned many times of a potentially negative situation. Like anybody's going to listen to Russia. Wait, who is Wait, so this is Russia. Who's the guy that wears old ties? Uh, let's see. The Russian president, Dmitry Medvedev. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always want to call him uh, Michael Medved, but that's not I mean, true. Somebody's got to teach him how to tie a tie properly before he's taking Do you have a photo? Yeah, look at that. I mean, it looks like. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. You know what he looks like? He looks like he's on. Um, he looks like he's on the People's Court, circa 1987. Uh huh. That's totally what that is. I mean, that that's a terrible knot. That's like. Is Doug... that a current picture? Mm-hmm. That's like. Well, they're behind the rest of us over there. What with perestroika and all. The uh, that looks like Doug Llewellyn is about to talk to him out there in the hallway or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't take the law into your own hands. Do do do. Um. Hey, Judge uh, Judge Wapner, dead or alive? Alive. All right. Uh, I think is you are correct. True? No, I think I think you're right. Uh, here's the the only thing that would be worse is if he was wearing one of those knit ties, one oh, of those yeah. bad woven ties. From the, why was that ever popular? Exactly. I mean, I know we could I've say that. Those. Did you ever wear one? I sure did. Really? I had a blue one. So did I, actually. I had a blue and one. And the I... bottom of them was square, not yeah. triangular like a regular tie. And, and not only was the bottom of that woven tie square, the knit tie, mm-hmm. not only was it square, but the bottom of the tie, it was like a weird, hard, thin seam. Uh-huh. So it ended very abruptly in, in an ugly fashion. I don't know why. I mean, you could say that any number of items from the 80s, but why did we all wear those? Who's Okay, I always think about, let me let me rescind that. I every now and again think about The Devil Wears Prada, and I think about that sequence. The book with, or the movie? Uh, the, I never read the book. Uh, the movie. So I think about that sequence with Stanley Tucci talking about what, what's your guts, the girl. And she's like, I don't get it. Blue is blue. And he does that speech, which I guess has some. some, some... Meryl Streep gives her the dressing down. If that's what you're talking about, like the blue, like the, the, the shade of blue that she but, gets. Well, it's, it's, but it's, it's, an ad, it's not that scene then. It's the scene where Stanley Tucci is talking to whoever the girl is in The Devil Wears Prada. And he's talking about why, like, style matters or why fashion matters or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, when he's talking to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Okay. And th- but then there, so there's that. But then there is. You're right. The scene where Meryl Streep is talking to Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada, and she's talking about how somebody in an office somewhere decides that like periwinkle blue, you know, like cornflower blue is the blue that everybody's gonna wear. And then next year in Akron, everybody's wearing periwinkle blue because they decided that, right? 
Right. So here's my question. Who decided, like, knit ties? That is a good question. I don't know. You know what that, but here's the, this is why I don't like people in the fashion industry. I don't like people in the fashion industry as a rule. Hands down, until they prove otherwise, I dislike and despise people in the fashion industry. And I'll tell you why that is. Because people in the fashion industry, and I'm basing this solely on the Devil Wars Prada, they all position themselves as having much better taste and style than the rest of us. But that knit tie came from somewhere. Somebody in a fashion design, somebody at like Liz Claiborne or whatever said, hey, you know what? Knit ties and fluorescent pants. That's what it's all about. Somebody like that Meryl Streep character in the Devil Wears Prada said, you know what everybody's going to wear this year? Hammer pants. Elastic ankles and big, poofy like legs. That's great. Somebody at one of the... You only ever remember the great fashion ideas. What we all forget is that every one of these bad, horrible things we wore in like the 70s or the 80s, they all came from somebody like that Stanley Tucci character who thought it was a fantastic idea. Uh, so I'm just saying... That's they're not in we we only remember the victories uh, with those folks. They're not infallible. That's all I'm saying. Hmm. All right. Now with those polyester paisley shirts, somebody brush up with you against you with a lit cigarette, and you hear all of a sudden there's a big hole in my arm. <laughs> my dad, my dad had a polyester, not just a shirt. My dad had a full-on polyester suit, his church-going suit, hmm. with a cigarette burn, not from somebody else, from himself. All it course. takes is one. Ruins so, the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, all right, who's ready for church, you kids? Oh, damn it! And then he looked down, and there's like a. Uh, it was in the. It was in the. On top of the right thigh, because he'd been sitting at the breakfast counter, like, you know, smoking his Marlboros or his Salem's or whatever. Salem's, I think, is what my dad smoked. Um, and it burning a hole in the leg of his pants. God damn, my dad had the worst clothes. I mean, I know that I'm no fashion plate, uh, you know, but thanks to Sarah, at least I dressed with something approaching a modicum of respectability. Uh, Sarah, I wish you could go back in time and see how my dad dressed. <laughs> And, I mean, you'd understand why I didn't know how to dress, ever. You'd understand why I dressed so badly. I mean, why I was dressed so weird is that my mom let my sister and I wear whatever the hell we wanted, so we went out with our, like, our play dress-up clothes on half the time. Yeah, no, see, I had no, I mean, it's like the role model was all that. My dad, okay, here's, here's the thing my dad wore all the time. First of all, I can't even tell you how bad, Tim, you lived in the 70s, you know. I can't even tell you how bad the pattern was, though, on my dad's one church-going suit. It was like... It was like a dirty greenish gray. It was like you took gray and you mixed it with green. Like maybe like the color of like gray silly putty mixed with like bad spinach blended together. So bad dirty greenish gray and then this like cross hatching pattern of black over it that looked like you'd just been putting it through the waffle iron. I mean, and that, like, it was like a full suit, like pants, jacket, and then he had like whatever terrible shirt underneath it. Here's another thing that my dad owned like a billion of. And my dad, like a lot of guys, he would just buy a bunch of crap that worked well at one era. And as much as people make fun of me going to the Gap every four months for jeans, as I always say, you know, if I go to the Gap every four months, I don't have to remember to change out my clothes. They do it for me. Every four months, brand new set of jeans at the Gap. I don't have to worry about remembering. My dad, though, would, he bought like a whole bolt full of clothing at one point and just kept it forever. Here's the thing that my dad wore, and Tim, you remember guys wearing these. Uh, it was a sort of bad polyester, uh, like, pullover. It was like a golf shirt, sort of, but instead of buttons, it had a huge zipper, yeah. and the zipper had a massive ring in the end of it, like a ring that would go through the nose of a bull. and And it was always pulled all the way down, of course. 
So it was, it was sort of, I mean, it was just awful. And he had like nine of those, and they were all lime green for some reason. I mean, why would you wear anything that's lime green that has a big pull ring down the front of it? <laughs> that and that's awful. And it's not like, that's not like a zip-up jacket. That was like his shirt with no shirt underneath it. So you get like, hey, look at my burly chest hair. Jesus. So, no, you're right. I mean, the 70s were just full. And again, the clothing with cigarette burns in them. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as sexy as I'm making it sound either. Good God Almighty. All right. Well, people still smoked everywhere back then. They did. Oh, man. I mean, everywhere. Everywhere. My dad, they would smoke in the lobby of our church. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they, they couldn't smoke at during church, but like in the lobby of the church. I think the church actually had a smoking room now that I think about it. Uh, yeah, there, there were cigarette burns everywhere and on everything. By the way, here's the thing. In the, in the 70s at my church, you couldn't smoke in the actual church. But you could church, uh, smoke in the vestibule, which is like a sort of, uh, that's like a, a, a foyer. That's like an antechamber there in the beginning when you come in. You could smoke in the vestibule. You know where you could smoke at my church, though? They had a sort of quasi-soundproof crying room where oh, you could babies. Room. You could smoke in the enclosed. In which, the enclosed baby room? Totally, yeah. Which is great because it's like sealed. Genius. It's like airtight. It's like that smoking room at the airport, but it's where you took your baby. And they had the church, the sermon piped in there. So you could be in there in a room full of crying babies. You're there. And let us turn to the page, you know, let's turn to God, you know, Mark 5:12, and it's just a room full of babies and, and cigarette smoke. smoke. Uh, Perfect for babies. Yes. Good times. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break here. Well, let me tell you about the, uh, the foot-long, stomach-shaped <laughs> hairball removed from the 11-year-old girl. Sexy. She's separate from this psychosomatic condition in which she ate her own hair. I take back the sexy comment. I didn't know she was 11. It's just disgusting. <laughs> well, this is a foot-long hairball. It's some impulse control disorder that is characterized by a repeated urge to pull out one's hair and eat it. Mm. Some of these people go on to eat the hair. Wait, hold on. I hope Aaron Duran is listening right now in his lunch hour. Mm. I pull out my hair and play with it, but I don't eat uh-huh. it. It's yeah. mostly among females, 99% of the cases. With females between 10 and 20 years old, rarely noticed among boys, it can happen when either the child is not brought up properly or suffers from birth-related problems. Well, they have that, and there's that variation where they just feel compelled to eat roughage. Mm-hmm. Like you'll hear about kids that are, like, eating cardboard or something, and there's some weird deficiency with that. It even happens here in America. Doctors in Chicago have removed a 10-pound hairball from an 18-year-old female. In a recent case, the hairball became so large, it uh, filled and took the shape of the 11-year-old girl's stomach. Sweet. It's the second time surgeons had to remove the hairball from the girl. Well, you know, I think... Second you, time. But you get one. You get one one pass on that. All why right, you got... Why wasn't she punished the first time? Hairball the size of a uh, of a football. You know, you get to do that once. After that, we're not cutting you open anymore. So... Well, the good part about this is it does aid in weight loss. <laughs> I suppose it does. Hey, did I ever tell but you... Weight Watchers doesn't work. Uh, have I... the old hairball. <laughs> if I... That's like the old tapeworm trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, have I ever told you the worst hair story ever? Not the worst. It's pretty bad. Um, well, let's hear it. All right, I'm going to tell it. I've probably told it before, but I'm telling it now. Here's something you all need to know. Aaron Duran has this uh, phobia, mm-hmm. uh, a physical, a visceral uh, response to hearing about hair in anyone's mouth. So hair in the mouth at all, stuck between the teeth, wrapped around the tongue, whatever, looped around a molar. Uh, Aaron has a visceral response to that. So in high school, I went to school with a girl who told me that for the first few weeks she was born, her parents were really, really, really worried because she wouldn't eat. And she was losing weight really rapidly. And she ended up being fine. But she was losing weight really rapidly. Uh, and I guess she was, I guess she must have been a couple months old, maybe, because she was already on some kind of, you know, regular food by then, like a mashed up food or whatever. Anyway, she wouldn't eat. Losing all this weight, parents couldn't figure out why. But she kept smacking her mouth in this weird way. And what they eventually discovered is that she had uh, this, like, long, long hair 
from her mom, who had really long hair, and she had swallowed half of it. And the other half was still trailing into her mouth and out of her mouth. And, of course, you got a big hair halfway down your throat, halfway in your mouth. You don't want to eat anything. You just sit there and go, a lot, you know. So there you go. The end. See, Tim? That's that gross. That gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like something Tanya Harding would do. Yeah. Yes, it does. You know, the story, is that in Britain? That's where you just read? No, that was uh, India and Chicago. Oh, really? It happened in two different places. Because those stories are almost always in Europe for some reason. But it actually happened here as well. I wonder why that's a chick thing. What is it with chicks wanting to just pull well, up hunks of have, hair and eat it? Well, it's easier for them to I eat here because it's longer. I love pulling up my hair. Okay, well, that's what you, okay. It's more convenient. I guess that's true. If you're a guy, you really got to work at it. Right. Well, like this, like, I have so much hair that I just, I, I am constantly... Have some, eat some now, Sarah. Mmm, no, big bowl of hair. Stringy, gross. Yes. No. Well, I've noticed that that is a tick that you have where you, um... Well, I pull out my hair and then, yeah, and then I'll, like, wrap it around my finger. You pull in your hair, but sometimes it looks like you're braiding it, but you're not. You're just pulling on it. Mm. Um, but not pulling it out, it, it, how do I, it's like you're sliding your fingers down it. It's like I'm putting, like, like, some kind of, like, a, it's like, like a you're putting, in it. Yeah, totally. It's like you're, it's like you're very carefully applying conditioner to the ends mm. of your hair. Uh, you do that in the movies. I've been I've been to the movies with you, and you do that. Yeah, I know. This, it's my it's my studying. I don't know why yeah. when I start to concentrate on something, I start playing with. Well, that's, and everybody has it. You know, I got that thing where I grab the end of my shirt tail all the time. Mm. Uh, you know. Or your pen. Or yeah. picking up white specks. Yeah, no, I'm that. I'm I'm doing like I like I fidget a lot, and mm. so I will either if I'm not picking up mysterious white specks, I will do this with my pen, or if the pen isn't handy, I'll grab the end of my shirt tail, my shirt cover, whatever, with my hand. Uh, just because it's like my hands have always got to be kind of grabbing, you know, like fidgeting with something. So That's why I, I feel totally at peace when I have a piece of my hair and I'm just wrapping it around my finger. We sound insane. Tim, do you do anything like this? No. I can't think of one. All right. I'll just, think of it. Sorry, Mr. Normal. All right. Uh, I used to bite my fingernails at one time. Yeah, I used to do that, too. Uh, and then I and then I stopped because it was just like, yeah. Because then you'd always bite one one bite too many. Ah! ah you know, and then... Or or you'd bite and then you'd have to and then it would be all jagged and you'd have to cut it off or tear it off and then it bleeds. I, 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 gave, I gave it up for Lent and I put that poison on my fingernails so I wouldn't bite them. I, I don't put, even know if they have that. I anymore. put clear nail polish on the tips of my fingers at one point to stop me from doing it because it was just because uh, I, I kept, do it anymore. Well, and then here's the other thing: you bite your nails, they get all jagged, and then you're like always catching them on like your clothes, or your bed sheets, or something. That's my yeah, that's my question. My friend bites her toenails. That sounds, sounds like something an orangutan would do. <laughs> Is your friend in a rank tank, Sarah? No, she wouldn't be embarrassed, but it's Kelsey. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. No offense. Uh, the does she do it in public? Well, Kelsey's an eccentric. Can we she put is, it that way? She's colorful. She's cut from. She marches to her own uh, <laughs> her own drummer. I mean, I look. Kelsey doesn't. Yeah, she's doesn't. She's little. I mean, yeah, Kelsey. Kelsey wouldn't wouldn't disagree with that. Kelsey no, she is. Uh, she's she's very vocal about. It. She doesn't care. On, but I mean, how does she do that? Does she like reach her feet up into her mouth? I've never seen her do it. Yeah, I think she. Yeah, because she's bending. Yeah, she'll just do it like that. How weird is that? I've never seen her do it, but she does it. Does like, she does she bathe first? Please think, tell me it's not I'm at sure the end of a long does. day on her feet. No, I'm sure that she, she's a clean girl. Uh huh. When she's not biting, when she's not chewing on her own toes. Oh. Uh, well, that's just strange. Let's take a break here. We'll come back after. I feel so much better about myself. It's, uh, no offense. Because I'll keep playing with my hair, and you keep pulling on your shirt. And just I'm not chewing on my feet, though. That's weird. I mean, I guess it's, you know. We've got to accept people for their eccentricity. Here's the thing, though. If you had listed all of your friends and been like, which one of these friends, like, chews on her feet, I would have guessed Kelsey. No offense. Back after this, the Rick Show.
Oh, a couple of small bits of news. Um, so this is according to the Hollywood Reporter. Ron Howard and Mitch Hurwitz have apparently inked deals for the Arrested Development film. Speculation has been fueled by cast members of the show, including Jason Bateman. Uh, Bateman saying that they, uh, the feature film is in the works. Uh, but apparently uh, Mitch Hurwitz, who created it, and Ron Howard, who was the producer and the narrator, uh, they've apparently signed agreements to do that. Yeah, they have a they have a tally board somewhere on the internet. So I can't remember where it is, but they have a, a picture of all the people, and um, they have like a check mark next to who signed really? off on it yet and who hasn't. Uh, I hope it doesn't suck. I know Michael Sarah hasn't signed off on it yet. If it sucks, it's going to be the be the worst thing ever. It'd be uh, really it'd be worse than the it'd be worse worse than worse than the worst thing that's ever happened if that movie comes out and is bad. Hey, by the way, did you know that Chinese democracy's been out since Sunday? I had no idea. No. I thought it came out tonight. So I'm going to panic about it. Hey, big Chinese democracy release tonight, right? And he's like, oh, I came out Sunday. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, oh, okay. Well, in any event. Oh, don't uh, forget, tomorrow, join us when our guest will include uh, Mick Wall, former writer for Kerrang! Magazine and author of uh, W.A.R., the story of Axel Rose. We will talk a bit about uh, Axel Rose and just everything that led up to Chinese democracy finally coming out. Uh, also tomorrow, Tony Bennett. All right. Uh, and so forth. Is that true? It is. I wouldn't lie. Why would I lie about Tony Bennett being on the show? That would be a weird thing to lie about. That is true. I mean... I take that back. First of all, if I were just to lie about some interview, what if it was just the sock puppet? That's my first unveiling of the... You know? Hello, Mr. Bennett. Hello, Rick! Just a sock puppet with like a, with a bow tie on. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, I like how in the space of an hour... The sock puppet has gone from having a normal voice to sounding like some uh, to sounding like some weird cross between Rosie Perez and Senior Wentis. Uh, hello, I'm fine. You know, yeah, you sound like um, the hand puppet from South Park. Oh, Taco has- Uh the- How did you speak when you were interviewing Byron? As a oh, it was just my normal like. So anyway, I want to know what. Where does it stop, Byron? Will you want to marry your pet next? And I was the. It wasn't really me saying it, though, Sarah. It was the character. It was course, uh, Socko, the family values puppet. Mm-hmm. But I, I am, uh, it's just on a side note, looking forward to, I think, two weekends from now when that episode of Outlook Portland airs. Uh, because I'm sure there's a, a, a wide variety of people in the audience. But I do like to think that there's a handful of perhaps older viewers who are up, you know, to, to find out what's going on in their community. And they turn on and there's Byron Beck being interviewed by a hand puppet. Uh, so, you know, I like to, I like to, Ethel, there's something wrong with the television. There's a sock talking to a gay man. I don't know. Have we, is something, are we watching the HD channel by mistake? So, uh, oh, by the way, and just, they are switching to that digital thing in February. They're going to think, oh, they disconnected a little early. Yeah, no, totally. I've been left in the dark. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so, the puppet channel. Fe- oh, so then it's all like spray makeup all the time. Yeah, in you. February, I think, uh, yeah, they're going to start the, my eyeliner did look pretty great, though, I have to say. Good. So I put it on and, uh. And, uh, in fact, one of the uh, the girl who does the rest of the makeup said, hey, your eyes are really a lot more defined now. I said, well, yeah. So there you go. And she was all impressed that I had MAC eyeliner. You know, and I was able to. Uh, I passed that off as my own choice. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, by the way, just, I'm sorry, Tim. One, two, for, two things. One, we won't say who. I won't identify this person. But during the break, Sarah got a text message that was hilarious. This was what the text message said. No other context was given. But it given. has since been clarified. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, we got... we to got the person who sent it to me, I know it's since been clarified. This is Rick. We got this text message during the break, or Sarah did, and the text message said this. It said, quote, One word, cocaine! End quote. And that's all it said. One word, cocaine! And we were like, what? We, we thought maybe it was like a misdeliver. 
You know? Like, yeah, like, there were like a bunch of question marks like, hmm? What? I thought maybe it was like, a, hey, what should I bring to the party tonight? You know, and the response was like, one word, cocaine. So This person would not do such a thing. Maybe uh, at one point, but not anymore. So they gave you a clarification as to why they texted you the word cocaine. Yes, about the one thing needed for uh, 80s fashion. Oh, I see. Okay, well, there you go. Yes. Um, also, Sarah is uh, pulling out more of her hair right now, and you are claiming it's because your hair naturally sheds during the winter. It does. It's true. I have a lot of hair. But that doesn't make any sense. Why would your body... Sh- you, winter is when you need your hair. I don't know. It doesn't come out during the summer. It's always during the winter, and I know it's always during the winter because it's always covering all my sweaters. Maybe it's coming out during the summer, but you're wearing less clothing and you don't spot it. No, it's all, no, I can tell. Like I think would think out. your hair would shed equally year round. I think that there might be. I don't know. Why don't, would your body keep your hair when it's hot outside? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know, but it's coming out. Maybe you're defective. You got like a bizarro body well, now clock. I need to, now I need to look it up and see. All right, here's Tim Riley on KCMD Portland. That really threw me. This hair discussion. I'm just saying. It's didn't it seem counterintuitive that Sarah would lose her hair during the winter? Your body would retain hair when it's colder outside, I would think, because it traps heat. But I also have, like, freakishly thick and fast-growing hair. I believe most mammals uh, attain more hair during the winter season. That's what I'm saying, because most of your body hair, uh, body heat is lost through your head. Uh, The majority, more than any other place in your uh, body, your your body heat is lost through your head, which is why, like, you know, you've got to wear a hat and so forth. I can never find a hat during the winter that looks good, ever. And I'll tell you that, that's been a lifelong struggle. Go to the dollar store. They have plenty of them. They all say number one grandpa on them. I I finally found a great. Only. I have a I have a great uh, winter coat that I like now uh, from the Banana I can't Republic. See you with a hat, any kind of hat. No, but but it gets cold, and so like I want. And my you ears get one cold. of those like caps, like a fat boy cap. Nah, see, like a snap brim. Mm-hmm. Well, but that doesn't. Well, that maybe. won't really help with the heat. But no, I mean it's like I got the. Uh, that would look silly. I got that's what I'm thinking. I got the coat and I got the scarf. Every year I try to get, but you know what the problem is? Earmuffs. Maybe. Yes. Earmuffs might actually look better now I that think I think about it. Earmuffs would look better. Because at this point in my life, I have hair again. Lots of hair. So I don't, so it, that's not so much easier, but my ears get really cold. And the thing is, lately, have you noticed this too with for guys? The last few years, uh, it, this just becomes just some fashion oriented show, but the last few years, they've started doing this thing for guys where the, the knit caps they make for guys for winter, they all look like prison caps. You know, where they're just like pulled, mm-hmm. just like one big, it's like, that's all the kids wear it on Hawthorne, like with the rolled up brim, so it's like small, so it's almost like on the top of. Totally, it's, it's floating on the top of your head. It's like some, it's like some, it's like some nitty uh, yarmulke that you just pulled down over your ears, and I can't, and it, it just, and it doesn't go with anything. It makes me look like I just escaped from Alcatraz. All right, here's Tim Riley. And we can't have that. No. So let's talk about the money again. Wall Street has given its blessing to the federal bailout to take a twenty billion dollar stake and soak up the majority of bad mortgages. And why not? It's somebody else's money. Why not give it its blessing? The Wall Street investors uh, say the Fed is making the right move to uh, snap up all these bad well, of loans. Of course. Of course they would say that. It's not their money. This is a larger deal than the AIG deal, so I figured that didn't help stimulate the market, so Citigroup would have to because it's so large. Okay, you know what we should do? Here's, a, here's a, you know, I'm always, I live in the shadow of, uh, of Abby Hoffman. He's really one of my true heroes. Mm-hmm. And before there was Michael Moore, there was Abby Hoffman. And Abby Hoffman was really the original king of the political... Uh, publicity stunt. I mean, he really was. Abby Hoffman just raised it to an art form. He was he was the, the he was the absolute uh, top of the top of the line in terms of political and social publicity stunts, getting a little bit of attention to highlight an, an absurdist issue. You know, like <laughs> pardon me, he had that that group, the Yippies, 
and they uh, they did that thing of running a pig for president or whatever in 1968, and you know everybody knows how he dropped dollar bills on the stock exchange, and they got arrested for trying to levitate the Pentagon, and you know and so he's you know he's pretty fantastic, and he wrote Abby Hoffman was actually I, I think. Not the first, but one of one of the first people to be prosecuted for desecrating an American flag, and it's because he wore a flag button-up flag T-shirt or button-up flag shirt at one point, and you know he did a lot of that stuff. So I always think of like, what would Abby Hoffman do? You know what we ought to do, Tim? We ought to put together we put together like a plea on behalf. We ought to get a list of other failed businesses, businesses that failed just because they were terribly run. You know, like the Yugo, for example. Where is the bailout for the Yugo? Don't you think they need money? Yes. Let's see what else. Uh, what what other what other bad businesses or companies or ideas that are totally gone now that have just vanished might need some money? I mean, it seems like there ought to be something. How about that company that makes like the Betamax Corporation? Oh yeah, remember that? How about the you know, folks that made that? What about LaserDisc? The, the LaserDisc Corporation. Snap Bracelet Corporation. The Snap Bracelet. There you go. What about that guy who makes the Pet Rock? People aren't buying those anymore. No. He needs money. Um, wait, hold on. How about the guy that invented New Coke? The guy that invented new Coke. Oh, that I was thinking Coke? Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> Crystal Pepsi. These are all things that they probably need to be bailed out. I mean, true, it's their own fault because they made foolish business choices and tried to sell products the American people didn't want. But that doesn't stop them from giving money to all of these other companies, <coughs> car industry. So we ought to get together a whole list of people who have created products that had to be taken off the market or that Americans didn't want. And that will, you know, we'll have somebody give them uh you know, we'll have somebody give, you know, like, what about move? We could give my, we could raise money to give Michael Cimino all that money for Heaven's Gate. That sounds fantastic. All right, there you go. Ishtar. What about the guy that directed Ishtar? He what needs about some money. Waterworld. Waterworld. We should raise money to give Kevin Costner and Dennis Hopper uh, money for Waterworld. The latest Bond picture, second place, second week out. Yeah, so, all right, there you go. So somebody out there, you just create a, uh, create a whole list of companies. Uh, that failed themselves into oblivion, we'll demand the government give them money. Air America. All right, here's Tim Riley. The Federal Reserve has announced a $600 billion program to buy up mortgage-related debt and security. Apparently, this is separate from the last story we read. The Fed said the plan is aimed at boosting the availability of credit for the purchases of homes. Oh, this is for homes. This is separate. The Fed will buy up $100 billion in debt issued by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and uh, federal home loan banks. Up to $500 billion would be spent buying up mortgage-backed securities. The Bush administration is moving to one... Oh, I guess this could be a Bush watch, couldn't it? All right. Ooh. Oh, because there's another Bush watch yeah, there, too. About some... All right, here's your Bush watch for uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. That's my bush. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our my own. That's my bush. President Bush has granted pardons to 14 individuals and commuted the prison sentences of two others convicted of misdeeds ranging from drug offenses to tax evasion, from wildlife violations to bank embezzlement. A new round of White House pardons are Bush's first since March and comes less than two months before he will end his presidency. The crimes committed by those in the list also include offenses involving hazardous waste, food stamps, and theft of government property. He's also been stingy during his time in office about handing out such reprieves. But these are, so these are not people that were wrongly convicted or wrongly accused or framed. No. These are people who were guilty of a crime, sentenced to a crime, and there's no doubts about their innocence, I would think. Mm -mm. And yet he's just pardoning them for, like, no reason. Yeah. 
I mean, that's just my assessment. I could be off, but that seems like the way the story is sort of leaning. Like here. this uh, guy who used uh, pesticides to kill bald, bald and golden eagles. He killed bald eagles with pesticides? Sure. And he's being pardoned? Yeah. All he right. promises never to do it again. Mm. Right, well, whatever. Uh, let's see. Marijuana, cocaine, uh, unauthorized use of food stamps. Seriously, I'm sure Damien Eccles is glad to hear that uh, <laughs> people are getting pardoned. Let's Ugh. see. A man sentenced for making false entries, bookkeeping, and statements to a bank, misappropriation of bank funds, unlawful use of a telephone in a narcotics felony, Illegal treatment, storage, and disposal of hazardous waste without a permit. Well, these are all things that apparently aren't actually crimes anymore. I would be curious to know exactly what goes into that. Like, why? How does George Bush... We got like a billion people in jail. How did George Bush decide who gets pardoned and who doesn't? Or how did his people decide that? Yeah. That's an interesting sort of... I mean, if I was president, I literally would just... I'd set up like a big one of those Wheel of Fortune things. Oh, here's what you could do. Uh, this would, uh, you could put this on pay-per-view. People watch this. Well, you do get like one of those Wheel of Fortune deals... And and but there's any number of things. There's sentence stays the same, pardon, electric chair. That'd be like the bankruptcy thing on Wheel of Fortune. And then the others would be like six months off, five years probation, uh, conjugal visit. And then the inmate gets to spin a wheel. That sounds wonderful. All right, there you go. Here's our part two. Not to be left out because Barack Obama's stealing all the headlines. The Bush administration is moving to unfreeze credit markets. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson announced plans to spend hundreds of billions of dollars to unlock consumer finance markets. In a news conference, he said this covers credit cards, auto loans, and student loans. To address this need and support the return of consumer lending, the Treasury will provide $20 billion of credit protection to the Federal Reserve in connection with its $200 billion term asset-backed securities loan facility. Yes, you, the consumer, will benefit from all this money. By providing liquidity to issuers of consumer asset-backed paper, the Federal Reserve Facility will enable a broad range of institutions to step up their lending, enabling borrowers to have access to lower-cost <laughs> consumer finance and small business loans. Are you kidding me? No, it's your money. Wait, no, no, no. Let's, let's stop here. First of all, a I, that sounds like a lot of new speed. Go to asset-backed. Something or other? Yeah. Can you play that soundbite one more time? I want to write something. I want to ask a question. But I want By to make... providing liquidity to issuers of consumer asset-backed paper, the Federal Reserve Facility will enable a broad range of institutions to step up their lending, enabling borrowers to have access to lower-cost consumer finance and small business loans. Uh, may, okay, hold on, hold on. I, I, just give me one second. I, there's so many things here I want to ask about. Lending. All right. First of all, what is consumer asset back paper, Tim? I don't know. I mean, Maybe it's consumer paper used on one's backside. No, it can't be that. I'm almost certain it's not that. I, but, I mean, does anybody know what that means? No. That Doesn't that sound like a phrase that he's trying to slide by real quickly because he's really talking about something else, and he doesn't want you to know what he's talking about? We need an economist here. We really do. Uh, do we know anybody? I mean, we're going to have to cast him down in a few, but I don't even know if he will know. Not because he's not a smart guy, but that sounds like made-up lingo. Well, we're going to need one sooner or later. Do we? That should, that you know, be personally? Well, no, the, the, the program, because this is just going to get worse before it gets better. The program? No, all this uh, asset stuff. I'm the so economy, confused. Rick. Oh, the economy. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, who do, do we know anybody here in the building that is like has any like any economics training? Probably not. Kristen knows a little bit about money. Oh, that's true. But but again, it, I'm sure she does. But this sounds like this consumer asset back paper. I don't know, but that sounds like outstanding debts. Yeah. That's what that sounds like. That sounds like debts. And then he says this. This is what we need in this country. <laughs> More of this. 
This is so they can step up their lending and their consumer uh, lending. Because that's what American consumers need to do more, is borrow more money. Absolutely. Americans need to borrow more money and put more things on like credit cars cards. cars they really don't want. Exactly. That's going to fix everything. Go out and buy more crap you cannot possibly afford. Things you know you can't afford. What's more American? Jesus. Step up our lending and have more consumer lending. Yeah. It's like, we, you know, have you seen that bumper sticker? I know you have the one that says, I'm already against the next war. Uh, you know, you'll see that on, like, hippie mobiles. It's like, I'm already against the next war. It's like we're already planning for the next time we have a big economic meltdown. We're planning for it right now. No, no, no. We need to get lots of money freed up so the consumers can borrow more. Good God Almighty. All right. This guy says, Rick, I want to bail out. I can, I can run a business as badly as anybody. Give me a couple months. I'll drive a company of your choice into the ground. Then I can get money. We should totally do that. That should be like a little satirical YouTube film where some guys get together and they, they, they take over a business just so they can make it fail and get some bailout money. It is, it is sort of like back in the 80s. We paid farmers not to grow things. Yeah. Now we're paying companies not to make products people want. Uh, let's see. What do, uh, let's see. We've got somebody about Sarah's hair falling out. Oh, I sound so sexy. Hi, I'm on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? What's up? Uh, the reason why Sarah's hair falls out is because when it gets cold, it gets brittle because she has a lot of product in it. She colors her hair, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true, yes. Yeah, and acid back consumer paper. Right. When you go buy a TV and you buy it on time or you put it on a credit card, that's what they're talking about. So when you buy, so consumer asset back paper is consumer purchases put on credit cards. Yeah, or your car loan. Or when you go to errands and rent that TV for six months so you can pay it off later. All right, so yeah, so it is basically buying something and paying it off a bit at a time. Yeah, and the, the, the funny thing is, if you have good credit, there is no lack of credit right now. I have good credit, and I got credit card offers coming to me all the time. All right. Just went out and bought a new car. I bought new equipment for my business. There's there's no lack of credit. All right. There's lack of credit for people with poor credit. All right. Which Excellent. is about sixty percent of the nation. All right. Well, that does answer the question. I suspected it was it was just sort of like yeah, did, did, buying something and you know paying it off. Uh, you know, l- not even laying it away, but buying it. You know, and then paying it off a bit at a time. All right. Thank you for the clarification, sir. Yeah, no. All right. And I said go. that I don't buy his product thing because the part of my hair, a, it's like the whole hair. Like the whole piece here, it's not snapping or breaking. And B, this is the part that I don't put any product in because it's the less damaged part than the. I would buy part. though that it's. I would buy that it's that it's the very very ends snapping off a little bit because it's brittle outside. Cause you yeah, but it never that. ends. It's like it's my full hair. Maybe it's because you're always pulling on it. What do you think about that, huh? I'm not pulling. I'm just gently touching it. That looks like you. You know what you hear? This sounds weird, but you more. But it's not that. It's like you do almost massage your hair. You know what I mean? Like you will go. Like you don't grab the ends of your hair. You will grab your hair about four inches up and then sort of like pull your hands down it, like they like a man sliding down a fireman's pole. So that over time probably will yank it right out of your scalp. I'm just saying. Maybe. The winter thing would make sense is, for but some I, but people, But I do this though. all the time, and it doesn't happen in the summer. It is. See, but I don't, well, maybe your scalp gets dry. But Todd, but, yeah, because Todd wrote me and said that hair, uh, his, wife, his wife starts losing hair when it gets closer to winter. Yeah, but maybe if your scalp gets dry, the hair comes out a lot easier. If your scalp is dry, I think your follicle, the hair will probably fall out, or it won't stay you know, attached as easily. Hmm. The the winter time would explain part of it because he says, I'm looking, he says, my hair grows way faster during the summer than the winter, which of course isn't true. Your hair grows at a genetically determined rate. It never grows faster or slower. That's a, that's an old, uh, it's an old wives tale. 
It's like that whole thing of like if you shave a hair, it'll grow back darker, which is also not true. It's mm-hmm. like it, it grows, your hair grows at a scientifically determined rate, but during the winter, it seems like it would get brittle and the ends, depending on who you are, might snap off a little and there seems like it's taken forever to grow because it's snapping off. Your whole hairs are coming out though. I'm not trying to make you sound like a freak, but I'm saying maybe it is because you pull on it, maybe the, the, maybe combined with like a dryness of the scalp. Let's quit talking about this. Okay. Because I realize now that it sounds like a weird infomercial where Suzanne Summers is going to show up. She's going to come in and solve my problem. Seriously, she's going to know what you want to do here. Is you forget all that. <laughs> Lotion your scalp. All right, here's Tim Riley. And now back to the bad economy. Henry Paulson attempts to explain the reasons why the economy has collapsed. When you have AAA-rated paper, it's been outstanding for a long time, and the market's used to seeing there's no market for that at any reasonable price, that tells us that we're seeing some distortions and dislocations that are clearly not right. Okay. I don't know. You were out of the room, by the way, when the guy clarified consumer asset back paper is buying stuff and then paying it off a bit at a time. Like That's a, what everybody does. Yeah, like a car loan or a credit card or, a you know. Yeah. You know, like a like a like a coffee table that you're paying four dollars, you know, a week for or something. Verge Benero, the mayor of Lansing, Michigan, said the auto industry deserves a government bailout. So why not? You're damn right we need them. They've done plenty for this country. The other auto companies are supported by their countries. It's time we stand up for the last great patriotic American companies, and that's the auto companies. The only mistake they've made is investing in this country and putting money in the pockets of American oh, workers. Oh, dude, you- eat eat a bag, eat a full bag. Seriously, just let's let's ratchet. Down. Who is this guy? It's the mayor of Lansing, Michigan. Why don't you tone down the uh, the to- tone down the the voice, there, friend? I mean, re- you know what? You're not going to get anywhere uh, sounding uh, confrontational. You know, you catch more uh, you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar, uh, Bub. Jesus. Yeah, that's a that's like he's off my. Uh, we're just going to deliver him cold this year. He's on the coldest. All right, here's Tim Riley. The Fair Political Practices Commission of California is investigating the allegations that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints did not report non-monetary contributions to the SRC no. campaign. You're, are you telling me that a religion would have been less than upfront uh, about uh, donations and finances, especially uh, when they're being used to fund uh, an oppressive ballot measure, Tim? Yeah. By California law, uh, church or organization can... Um, can spend as much as they want communicating with their own membership, and it does not have to be reported. But as soon as they spend any money to talk to voters or to non-members, then it becomes a reportable expense. And so our contention in, in our complaint was that um, they didn't report non-monetary contributions. Well, I can't believe what I'm hearing, Tim. That uh, That's astounding is what it is. And now back to the bad economy. Yeah. Pay hikes are not existing for 50 executives of AIG. While CEO Edward Liddy will receive only $1 in salary this year and next. That's a dollar. Additionally, the troubled insurance giants' top 10 executives won't be receiving bonuses this year. The move to cut executive pay and bonuses follows a $152 billion federal bailout. Well, that sounds like chicken feed now, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It just seems so minuscule by comparison. So, uh, yes, they're changing their ways. And now... What America really wants here, Dancing with the Stars. Sweet. It is the grand finale for Dancing with the Stars tonight, and everyone has their favorite in mind to win. Former contestant Rocco Despirito says he's rooting for the last remaining female to take the winning title. It's a dance competition, and uh, it looks like Brooke is the favorite without question. I mean, if you look at her points and look at how well she's done all, all season, uh, it's, I, I'd say it's looking pretty good for her. Mm. So it's Brick Burke. Lance Bass and Warren Sapp. Uh, Warren Sapp? Bless you. 
Uh, first of all, I, I realize now that I was saying like woohoo or hooray or something about this. Um, what network is this on? ABC. Oh, so I don't need to pretend to care. No. All right. Do you watch Dancing with the Stars? No. Sarah? No, but I know Byron and Juan do. Richie, do you watch Dancing with the Stars? Oh, I'm sorry. That would that would be girly of you. Too much. That would be weird. How are your heels fitting, Richie? Seriously. Uh, all right. Well, but I guess people do. So let's see. It's fine that we're talking about it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Rocco says, uh, let's see. So all these uh, stars bring something to the dance floor. You could make a case for Lance winning and for and for Warren winning. They all three of them bring something different to the table. You know, one's got performance, one's got presence, one's got dancing. Lance maybe brings it all together and has got a great combination of all three. But I think it's a dance competition, and uh, it looks like Brooke is the favorite. I mean, I know that we've been uh, talking about this, uh, you know, that off and on as we discuss this show, but I, it's not that people... I mean, look, I, I know that people do watch Dancing with the Stars. My whole thing is, like, who, though? Like, what is the motivation for watching Dancing with the Stars? I suppose it's mindless escapism. I guess, but I mean, do other people... I mean, people don't watch other dancing shows, do they? Are there other they dancing might. shows on television? What other dancing shows are there? I mean, it, I mean, in other words, something that's a knockoff of Dancing with the Stars doesn't count. Like, are there other... Were there previously existing shows that were just folks dancing? I don't think so. I think this is the first one. All right, so then... It is a reality show of people dancing. Is it really that compelling to watch, like, Adam Carolla go out there and do the Lindy Hop? Does he do that? I, he was on. I don't know if he'd actually do the Lindy Hop, but I don't know exactly what step in he was doing. But um, he was doing the, uh, it, the, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, it, it's fine. and I'm not passing judgment. Watch whatever you want to watch. I just, I can't quite figure it out. It seems like a nexus of lots of stuff people don't care about all that much. Mm-hmm. Like, Adam Carolla's a bad example. Brooke Hogan's probably a better example. Uh, I don't really know that. Brooke Hogan, I color me there. I have to watch it. Or dancing, color me there. I have to watch it. No one says these things. Maybe it just feeds a tiny little uh, speck in the brain. <laughs> Maybe it's it's like television lysine in uh, in Jurassic Park. Your brain has to have it, or you'll die a slow, withery death. Well, all right, that's as good a theory as any, I suppose. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, let's talk about America's most top model. They Can we crowned another winner? The winner is McKee. A graduate from Illinois, she beat Samantha and Ingley to win uh, the CW Network's modeling competition. She said despite winning America's Next Top Model, she does plan to go to medical school. I am finishing off the semester at school before I head off to New York. And after this, I don't know, I'm tying the ends off pretty nicely at school so that I can pick it up again later. Once modeling seems to have worn down, I think I'm going to return to school and hopefully make it into med school. (laughs) Yes, you're forced to think hard about being beautiful on the inside. It's an idea that was introduced to us very early in the competition with the voting photo shoot, uh, where Tyra says that, you know, she not only has a goal with the show to produce a top model out of it, but she wants to give the girls at home watching to realize that they're real women on TV, they're good role models. Stop. Yeah, no, I've, I've already, it, I, you know, while you were playing that, I already started looking on the Internet for something. Um, somebody asked me, I, I read this great article over the weekend uh, about, I, th- I think it was Toyota. It was a great article where they were talking to Toyota, who has, you know, they have a factory here in America. And they're like, the factory's fine. You need, you need bail out money? No, no, we're fine. Building cars faster than we can, you know, people selling cars faster than we can buy them. And they were interviewing a bunch of these American workers at the Toyota plant. And were like, no, 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 it's big, biggest Christmas bonus ever. Just talking about what a great year it's been. And people have been asking me ever since then for the article, and I'm looking back through my, my bookmarks trying to find uh, the article. Hey, I but while 
while half of my brain was looking online for this article, the other half was listening to whatever this idiot girl was in America's Next Top Model. I have a great idea for a reality show. Who wants to hear it? I do. Sarah? Oh, sure. Excellent. Okay. Has there ever been a show called Pretty on the Inside? No, but there should be. Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, a, it, it would probably be, work better if it was a man looking for a, for a lady. But the deal is you would either – okay, there's two different ways you could do this. One – you have a guy who's picking from 12, uh, 12 ladies to be his uh, to be his his special his special someone. A, he only communicates with the women through like a scrim, through like a like a like a curtain where he can't quite see her. He can just sort of maybe see like a little bit of her silhouette, right? So he can talk to her, but he can't see what she looks like, and so he does have to pick a woman based solely on her personality. Or or how about this? You do it like Cyrano de Bergerac style, where somebody is looking for love, but there is a proxy who relays all of their thoughts, observations, whatever. And so, you again, you don't really get to see what they look like. Kind of like the truth about cats and dogs? Yes. Yes, like that. Or, or in fact, or Roxanne or any yeah. of those. Yeah. So, but I like the idea of a guy of making, it would almost be like a, um, like, didn't they do the match game? Or what was that game where it's like, you know, where you would be talking to two people, like suitor number one. Uh, where would you take me on a first date? I would take you to Dick's In-N-Out Burgers in mm -hmm. Seattle. I'm saying Dick's In-N-Out Burgers. That's wrong. I'm con I'm conflating the two. Although let's all let's all acknowledge that Dick's In-N-Out Burgers sounds hilarious. It does. That was Honest, the funniest one of the You day. know, on our first on our first date, do you know where he wanted to take me? Um, but but you would do that. What was that show there where you would be talking and you couldn't see whoever it was? You go like blind date. Bachelor number one. And then they would think of the dating game with Jim Lang. And it was like you'd Are talk you to the one on MTV with like Jenny McCarthy. And... No, that's single now. But was but was single not the same thing where you couldn't see who they were? You couldn't see him. There was a screen. <laughs> I'm still back on wanting uh, In and Out to buy uh, Dick's Burgers, so you could have uh, you know or Dick's to buy uh, In and Out Burger. Yeah. That'd be someplace Byron would eat. <laughs> Why do you say that, Tim? I I know he enjoys a juicy burger every now and then. <laughs> It'd be like FedEx Kinkos. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can tell we're getting close to the holiday characters. Anything goes in this room. We're in a special okay. room. Okay, let's, let's pull this show back together again. I'm sorry I said that. But we have so much time to go before we take a break. I should have said that. I'm just trying to help. Or Kinkos FedEx, you know? All right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Welcome out of the Rick Emerson Show uh, from New York City. CN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello. Hey. How you doing? All right. Thanks for lifting my spirits. Do you like uh, Do you like In and Out Burger? <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for them to decide that it's time to make the trek out east because uh, they're they're only out on the west coast. And isn't it because the family wants to be able to? They won't have... uh, put one anywhere they can't uh, they can't drive to. No, that's what it is. Yeah, and I keep hearing about how great In and Out Burger is. Have you ever had Dick's bag of burgers? <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to race. This is really good. Dick's it's... is really Dick's, as Sir Mixalot once said, is the place where the cool hang out. Uh, they've got one. Uh, they got one in. The, and am I am I wrong in calling it? Dick's Bag of Burgers. Is that not the full name? Well, I've never got the Bag of Burgers, so we'd always get, like, Dick's Deluxes. Yeah, so it's there's one in Seattle, and there's one in uh, one in Spokane as well. 
Tim? I've never, I've never had the pleasure. There's more than one in no, Seattle, I, actually. I don't, I don't like dicks. I'm a vegetarian. All right. All right. So, hello, Steve Kastenbaum. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It's, you know, it's been one of those days where, like, you, you don't realize about an incredible amount of information like, all came in uh, throughout the course of the the eight-hour workday today. Yes. Well, it is it is uh, a little bit of information overload as we get closer to the holiday. It is. I, just, I can't wait for the holiday to come so we can just lay back and talk about people waiting online at 4 in the morning for Black Friday. Oh, special. dude, you know, like, some of the stores here are opening at 4 in the morning. What's wrong with people? I don't get it. Well, I have to tell you this, actually. To be fair, I actually uh, have spent more than one day after Thanksgiving, the so-called Black Friday, uh, at the mall or going to stores, not because I want to buy stuff, but because it is such an American experience. You know what I mean? Uh, and in ways both good and terrible. First of all, it is in a weird way kind of cool to see, like, the glorious engine of capitalism uh, in action. You go out to, you know, to your local shopping emporium on, um, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, and you just get to see, like, five billion people uh, just elbowing each other in the larynx so they can buy uh, discounted consumer goods and electronics. So there is something great about that. On the other hand, there's something to be said for going there and watching it sort of like, you know, watching it kind of like Dawn of the Dead style, where it's just seeing this huge, weird, often morbidly obese swath of humanity. Uh, just too much, too much American packed into too tight of clothes, uh, often clutching like a candied apple in one hand. Uh, and, you know, like a bag from some clothing store, uh, is they're walking from kiosk to kiosk looking for, like, you know, the right belt buckle for their great uncle. I mean, it's whether you think it's great or whether you think it's terrible or whether you think it's some mixture of the two, it is, uh, it is quite unlike any other day in America. And I always wind up interviewing, you know, the person who, who very gleefully says, you know, got all my holiday shopping done today. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. I hate that person. Well, we're already, I mean, at least we're we're about past the, the Butterball hotline story window. You know what I mean? This Re is true. This is true. Same tired as, don't attempt to shove your entire turkey into the sink disposal or, you know, whatever. Uh, or you'll hear the story about, like, you know, some guy who decided to thaw his turkey by running it through the dishwasher, uh, you know, or whatever. So, all right. Um, hey, let's talk about uh, Citigroup, Citibank, City whatever. So I, I don't even, it, it's so difficult. I've lost track of where we are with any of this stuff. But first of all, have you heard this term, consumer asset back paper? I've heard a lot of terms in the last few weeks that I had never heard up until coming to work at uh, CNN during this crisis. We had, was it, uh, hey, was that Paulson earlier, Tim, in that soundbite? Yes, it was. He was throwing out what I think is a lot of new speak. In other words, sort of not code words as such, but delightful new euphemisms for things because he wants to slide it all past the American uh, you know, people without us really noticing. And he was saying that they're going to give a lot of money so they can take care of consumer asset back paper, which I think just means, like, debt you owe on stuff that you can't afford. And then he said... This is so business institutions can step up their lending and we can get more, quote, consumer lending in the pipeline. Which yeah, basically it means that, you know, all these people, instead of owing the banks money, are going to owe the government money. And we're going to give them a lot longer to pay it back. And we're going to probably make them pay back a little bit less interest-wise. Well, I, it is, I mean, we were talking about this Citibank thing. With, they already got like 25 and there's going to be like another 20 on top of it or something like that. So Correct. 
I was saying that there ought to be a laundry list of, of previously failed businesses who should get together and demand their slice of this because they were, uh, you know, they had a business model or a product that was flawed or undesired or possibly both. For example, we were saying the Yugo Car Company ought to do this, or those guys who made laser discs, or maybe that guy who was fired because he came up with, uh, with, you know, with new Coke. You know, you know, all ideas that might have seemed interesting at one point, but that came to zero fruition financially. You know, and just say, like, look, uh, I came up with a product nobody wanted. Now I'm broke. Please give me some money. Heck, uh, realistically, why didn't they bail out Enron? That, well, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, and I mean, I know it sounds like we're being flip and kind of playing this for comedy. And to some degree we are. But that's a that is a truly reasonable question. Why didn't they do that? You know, I mean, they're they're bailing out everybody now. What about all those folks who have no retirement now because they were uh, vested in Enron and, you know, they they have nothing to live on? Well, I mean, Christ, what about all of those companies that crashed during the dot-com implosion? Yeah. You know, what about those companies like Cosmo.com? And... I lost money in the dot-com uh, bubble bursting. Yeah. Where's my, where's my uh, bailout? I mean, and there was all of this. Some of these companies you knew were going to go bankrupt, like Socks.com or whatever. These companies just sold one product that really you can just buy down the street for like $5, and they wanted to sell it to you online. Or there were companies that must have seemed like a good bet at one point. Like, first of all, does anybody know if Netscape even exists anymore? Like the company? Does Netscape Incorporated even still, are they around? Do they, are they even extant? I have no idea. I mean, the Firefox, Firefox is like the new Netscape. Oh, right? dude! I mean, we're all about Firefox here. But I got to say that, like, the, you know, the Netscape browser at one point, I mean, that was a big deal. I remember when Mark Andreessen, who was the guy that, you know, uh, to, to one degree or another, really, uh, he was the guy who ushered in the coming out party for Netscape. Anyway, he wasn't the only guy there, but he's like the Sean Fanning, you know, of that company, where he, to a large degree, was responsible for Netscape attaining such massive market share at one point. And then, of course, Microsoft just decimated them as they as they do with everything. But I mean. You know, Netscape ought to be asking for some money. And everybody who had money tied up in Netscape ought to be asking. Hell, you ought to be able to find some guy who lost everything he owned in some Amway-type uh, thing. You know, it's on the pyramid scheme. Uh, I was just going to say, did you see the riots in uh, South America? Uh, and I forgot what city it was in over the people who got involved in a pyramid scheme and, and didn't get their money. No. No, but, I mean, you ought to be able to find some guy who's done something like that. Uh, and then, you know, and just say, like, well, look, I made poor decisions. Now I'm bankrupt. I would like my piece of the pie. Yeah. All right. Well, not well that's gonna... the American way now. I suppose. Uh, anyway. Hey, we really need those people to shop on uh, on Black Friday, if I can just uh, be an advocate for the economy. Uh, because today we learned that the gross domestic uh, product shrank 0.5%. That's a huge drop in the uh, economy. It, it contracted a lot. It hasn't seen a, a drop uh, that big since uh, post-9-11 days. And the outlook is uh, for it to continue uh, contracting uh, in the fourth quarter. So, heck, go out there and take advantage of those 4 a.m. Uh, two-for-one sales or whatever it is. Well, and so here's my question. As much as I really do agree that, you know, you got to stimulate the economy and keep things moving and whatever, I mean... At this point, the average American, though, is just like up to their eyeballs in hot already, though, aren't they? Yeah, it depends. You know, it really depends on what part of the country you're in uh, and what uh, industries are, are the main employer, you know, in that region. I'd be curious to know what parts of America have per capita, you know, in other words, by average, the greatest amount of credit card and other consumer debt. Oh, that's a really good question. 
Like, is it a big city? Is it Los Angeles? Or are they sort of smaller, more suburban towns? You know? I'm going to guess, when you're talking per capita, right? Like, not overall, but, you know, per person. Who's got the more... Yeah, in other words, if you were to say, look, uh, you know, yeah, per capita. In other words, based, you know, relative to the population of the town, where is the number of people, relatively speaking, the number of people who are just up to their knees in credit card debt or auto debt or debt on other things, you know, furniture debt or rent-to-own debt, stuff that they're paying on that they can't pay off, where is that number of people the highest? Tim is speculating Orange County, but who knows? Who's to say? I'm going to take a wild guess and say, you know, it corresponds with the areas that are have been hardest hit by the foreclosure crisis. So you're talking, yeah, like parts of California, uh, Nevada, Arizona, uh, Ohio, like Cleveland, Detroit. I'm guessing it's going to be uh, one of those areas. Maybe, but it's also worth, I mean, and I don't really know. I mean, I don't know that there is a definitive answer that's handy, but it's also worth speculating that to some degree that foreclosure crisis happens to some folks because they have so much consumer debt to begin with. And then finally, you know, uh, you know, it's like on Wall Street. The guys get a margin call, and you got nothing to cover it, uh, yeah. and then you're host. So, yeah, that'd be, I'd be curious to know that. I think we shouldn't even bother finding out the the answer to that question and just base everything on our emotional and uh, emotional responses and 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 like most Americans do. I thought you were going to say just make it up, which is kind of what yeah. we do whenever we don't have hard facts on something. We just fabricate we the answer, or, or we just base it on our emotional response to something. There you go. So I'm going to go with that. All right, we're going to pass it along as true. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, are you on tomorrow, sir? I am, and then I'll be covering the the big parade uh, on uh, on Thursday. Hey, uh, tomorrow, uh, around the time that your show is on, I'll yeah. be at the big balloon blow-up for the parade. So we can have some fun with that tomorrow. Is that where they just sit there with a the big generator thing, like, and just take like 10 hours to blow the thing up? These massive helium trucks are brought into the area around the Museum of Natural History, which is like the start point for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and, and they have all the balloons there. Yeah, that's where... People line up when the weather's nice, and we'll wait for hours. Hey, doesn't it seem like there's some great Woody Allen mishap waiting to happen where one of those helium trucks overturns, and suddenly everybody in the city talks like a chipmunk for 10 or 12 minutes? Every year I wait for... We're asking the citizenry to remain calm! (laughs) Every year I wait for that to happen, and it just never comes to fruition. I wait for, like, a lightning bolt to strike a helium truck, you know, and to cause a leak, and it just doesn't happen. Well, you know, if you were William Randolph Hearst and if this was the golden age of yellow journalism, you wouldn't wait. You'd just pay somebody to do it so you could write about it. This is true. This yeah. is true. All right. On that note, my friend, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Right, Steve Casimir. Let's do one more here and we'll take a break and come back. So we have a couple of things to talk about. Who wants to hear from John McCain? Okay. Page two. <laughs> is it just that easy? We just ignore him and he goes away? Yep. Excellent. Hot dog. Wonderful. Let's talk about this uh, new motion picture, uh, Biopip, uh, Pip, a Biopip, Biopip, <laughs> Biopip, entitled... Hello, Mo- sir. <laughs> Have you come to see my Biopip? Jolly good. Isn't Pip the little British kid from South Park? Come with me. Come. What is that? Uh, what is that? Come with me, Wendy. Let's jump the hilly brush. Let's talk about Christmas trees instead. That's all Yay. from my sock puppet voice. All right. With a flip of a switch by Jolly Old Saint Nick... Portland's Holiday Tree will end up Pioneer Courthouse Square Friday night. It's a large Douglas fir. It's going to be extra green this year.
because it's going to have environmentally friendly LED lights. Stupid. <laughs> it's an idiotic idea. You know, Tim, isn't this the time when we should be stimulating the economy by spending more on our electricity? Yes. I think this green decoration is un-American. Mm-hmm. No, I wholeheartedly agree. That's right. Now is the time to be putting more money into the system, not less. It's going to consume... 80% less energy, this is meaning a, it's not going to be very well lit. It's a communist tree, Tim. Speaking of more communism, some parents are sending their kindergartners to two California elementary schools today wearing either pilgrim or Native American costumes despite a decision by the school board to abolish Thanksgiving tradition for the sake of political correctness. The change was prompted by parents of Native American ancestry who began to complain about the stereotypes. For four decades, kids at Condit and Mountain View Elementary Schools in Claremont, California, could get dressed up as pilgrims and Native Americans to celebrate Thanksgiving. Not anymore. Administrators decide no costumes anymore. Well, I, well, all right. I was gonna, I was gonna weigh in, but a, I don't have kids. B, I certainly don't have kids in Claremont. Or where's Claremont? Near San Francisco. All these are San Francisco values. Yes, they, they kind of teeter into the suburbs. All right. Well, I. I can't remember if we did this or not. I, I seem to remember going going to school dressed as a pilgrim at one time uh, on Thanksgiving. Sarah, do you ever dress up as a pilgrim or an Indian for uh, every year for Thanksgiving? Really? Yeah, I was a theatrical child. So but I, I mean, did the school sort of like encourage that come come as a pilgrim tomorrow? No, they didn't really encourage it. But my sister and I you would just always did it. Dress up. Did you pick it now? Did you dress as a as a as a pilgrim or an Indian? Just as a pilgrim. All right. Well, okay. But more of like a peasant pilgrim. I remember I had like big white puffy sleeves and like a patchwork dress kind of thing. I guess the choice is either. I guess when you think about it, it is an awkward choice if you're going to have your kids dress up for Thanksgiving. Because on the one hand, y- y- your kids basically have the choice of dressing up in a wholly innocuous but completely historically inaccurate way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you can either you know look here's here's you know uh you know here's an English settler from across the river. Here's an Indian sitting down. Look how they're enjoying dinner together with an absolute lack of raping and smallpox. Way to go, different cultures. And they respect each other. The Indians were generous enough to give up everything for the pilgrims. (laughs) Here's a whole swath of land we are not using. We would like to give to your smallpox-ridden people. Eat the whole turkey. We'll just have the bones, thank you. (laughs) Too much land for us. We crave a smaller space. Do you have anything tiny where we could all live? Um, Make sure it's a desert. We <laughs> want to sit there and sweat for the rest of our lives. No electricity, please. We love the dark. <laughs> Why, this is working out wonderfully. Um, or you could have the kids, uh, you know, go to school dressed up and, and have it be accurate. But then again, everybody's just going to be covered in sores. Uh, you know, and then at some point, somebody in the party is going to have to shoot somebody else. And then uh, Sacagawea has to give everybody the clap. So, like, cheap, where's the bell seasoning? <laughs> so I guess maybe it's best if you just uh, eschew the costumes for uh, for everyone on either side of this equation. Employers of Florida's Gulf Coast University are protesting the campus ban on Christmas decorations. Where was this university? Florida. It also canceled the greeting card design contest and renamed the tree... A giving garden. <laughs> that's, however, that's stupid. How can really a tree be a garden? Isn't a garden a whole bunch of stuff? I would imagine so, yeah. A tree is singular. A garden is a collective. That's Florida. God damn, people are stupid. Is this a public school? Of course it is. Uh, 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 let's see. Florida Gulf Coast University, where they train the leaders of tomorrow. That doesn't sound like a real college, Jim. That sounds like a 1-800 college. Mm-hmm. 
Is that where you can you train online or at a drive-thru or something? What kind of Christmas decorations are these that they're bitching about? It just says Christmas decorations. But, I mean, are these, like, baby in a manger decorations, or is this, like, ho-ho-ho decorations? People can decorate their own desks, though, as long as it's their own Is this a public college? In other words, it's like a... Look it up. Florida Gulf Coast University. Let's look it up now. Everybody stop what they're doing. Florida, and then we'll break. Because you want to do this more than anything. Florida Gulf Coast University. Florida. But, but okay, but this is this, this is a college. Coast, yeah. It's not like a grade school. No. In Fort Myers, Florida. Yeah. University. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can't we just agree? What, what are you looking up about it? Uh, it uh, whether it's like it's a public university. But I mean, public university means Everybody like I don't know if thirteenth grade. But but I mean, in other words, but it's still a college. Like you're yeah, not com- classes in research and technology. But you're not compelled to go there. In other words, you get it's, a master's degree. It's not. In other words, it's not like some high school offshoot. It is in fact a. Co- it is a voluntarily, like you go there if you want to, not because you have to. It's a college. Uh huh. Well, so then everybody should just shut the f up. Wow, tuition is really cheap. Eleven thousand. Really, that's hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, That's because they don't spend their money on Christmas decorating. Decorate, don't decorate. You're there to get an educated. Shut the hell up. It's not like high school. I mean, these things are appropriate. Like, there's always that thing about, like, how you make, you know, they make kids stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. It's one thing to say that you can't do that kind of that kind of stuff if it's a school where you have to go. Like, if you're a kid, you have no choice. You have to go to school. And so they got to be more tolerant tolerant, not have those things because you got to be there. It's a college. A, you're there to learn. B, you're a grown-up. You know what? And life is about that. Life is pain. So why don't you just why don't you just buck up and quit being such a goddamn whiner? Good God. Nation full of sissies. Right. That's what it is. That's what I'm saying, Tim. Right. They provide year-round training. You know, you know, we know it's all started happening, Tim, when they stopped letting you smoke in doctors' offices. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we take a break? Sure. All right. Coming up, I guess we're talking. Oh, Nina Parker does have a Britney Spears story. So we'll get that. A little uh, more news from Tim Riley, and then we'll do it. We'll try to get a top five done sooner rather than later. Uh, later on, Jim Roop, Don Taylor, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Back after this. It's true. Ah. All right. Oh, by the way, Netscape was originally Mozilla, but they marketed the browser as Netscape. AOL then bought Netscape, while Mozilla created their Mozilla browser, then Firefox. The final version of the Netscape browser came out last year as version 8, and AOL killed it as it was just a reskinning of Firefox. Glad you cleared that up. That's Thomas the Tech Guy, way smarter than I am. You know, we should give these jars of marshmallow fluff to the less fortunate this holiday season, don't you think? Yes. Oh, I'm not going to eat them. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will join us from Los Angeles. Uh, we'll also talk to Don Taylor from Film.com. She'll have uh, some DVD reviews for us. And I think she has compiled a list of the worst Thanksgiving films, or fil- worst films to watch this Thanksgiving when you are drunk and alone. I might be adding that last part myself in my head, but I think that's... I'm I have one. Really? What is it? We Don't Live Here Anymore. Have you ever seen that movie? No. It is one of the most... Now, like, Alice therapy. doesn't live here anymore? No, it's about, like, two couples who are just, like, in unhappy marriages, and, like, two of them are having an affair, so the so other two decide... Yes, yeah, so the other two decide to start sleeping together, and then in the end, everybody loses. This sounds like a wonderful film. 
It is lifetime. Completely depressing. Is it a lifetime film? No, no. It has a bunch of like big stars in it. I can't remember any of the names at this point. But I because I haven't seen it. Is this a theatrical release? Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Hey, I had a great idea for a bit. Now you suggested I can say this, Sarah. You suggested a great bit the other day that I do believe was um, inspired by something that some other show somewhere does. Yes. You remember that great, uh, uh-huh. and, you know, and maybe we'll do that contest. No, I talked want. to the, yeah, and I talked <clears throat> to the, the comedian was actually the one who had introduced me to that, that thing. I'm just like, oh, do you think, I'm like, do you think it's cool if we maybe borrow that? And he's like, oh. So Sarah's gentleman friend had heard some other show uh, do some kind of contest. And, you know, my contesting skills are, you know, they're, they're weak. I don't know how to contest. I can't contest for beans, as they say. Which is why I was always really jealous of the Donna Mike show. And actually, the Michael Mara show continues to be, they come up with the best contests on that show, the best bits I'm so. Have, have you heard that um, that bit they do? Your iPod sucks. No. Oh, it's wonderful. It really is great. And I think I think I might have talked about it. Where each of the guys on the show, Mike, Rob, Buzz, and then like Beth Ann or somebody, they'll each bring in their iPod, and each of them they won't play the whole thing, but each of them will skip through like five random songs. So like Sarah would you know hit start, and it's like whatever. It's uh uh you know it's Ted Leo. Next thing is like Meatloaf. The next thing is. Uh, Bob Dylan, the next thing is, uh, you know, whatever, the, the social distortion. Each person does that, quickly goes through five songs. Then they bring on a caller who has heard them do this. Then one of them, without revealing who it is, hits, does it again and plays another song. And based on what they've heard of your collection, they have to guess whose iPod it is. It's the best bit. It's fantastic. That is genius. But see, I can never come up with that stuff. But you know what I had? I had a great idea the other day. This is a legitimately great idea. It is a like a film nerd contest, and the deal is people have to correctly identify a film based solely on, like, the opening credit music. Not like the theme. So it wouldn't be like Beverly Hills Cop. It would be like the opening credit sequence to a film. You like would just Heather, play. Like in like playing Case Totally, exactly. You would play the opening credit sequence, no dialogue, nothing. Just the opening credit sequence to a film. Just the music. That This is your idea? My idea. That's a great idea. And then they would have to correctly identify whatever it is. That's my idea there. So, all right. We don't live here anymore. But then I'm I'll bring it in. I have it. Well, no, because you... Why would you... Because no, I want to torture you. See, that's more of that smell this. It's rank. <laughs> smell this. It's rancid. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of... And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A motorcyclist is killed while passing vehicles. A boring man was killed when he tried to pass several vehicles, but chose one too many. Is this a Darwin watch? I suppose it is, yeah. Right. Here's your Darwin watch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I'm feeling so bad. Stuff is about to go down. Don't, don't, don't. I need all my Darwin watch for Tuesday. Well, here's what happens when you get a little bit too greedy. A boring man was killed when he tried to pass several vehicles on his motorcycle and chose one too many. The 38-year-old victim is Eric Christian Delph. According to the sheriff's deputies, Mr. Delph was operating his motorcycle north at 9.30 a.m. when he tried to pass several vehicles in front of them. Mr. Delph. However, one of the vehicles in front of them was a van, and it slowed down and took a last-minute left. Wow. Turn. 
Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And I think we can picture what happened next. He didn't see that coming, literally and figuratively. Mr. Delph died at the scene shortly after the wreck. The sheriff's deputy said he was wearing a helmet, and it was legal for him to pass on that section of road, which has a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit. However, you should be careful. Helmet don't keep your uh, ribs from growing through your lungs, friend. The driver of the car from uh, Portland was conducting business for Maytag at the time of the wreck. And no citations were issued because he was entitled to make a left-hand turn. All right. So there you go. So, uh, you know, really, where you got to be that's that important? I mean, just, uh... it, it, you're in boring. <laughs> I, mean, I guess that's true. I mean, really, where are you in such a rush to? I mean, the general store is still going to be there. All right. There's your Darwin watch for uh, Tuesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Tim Riley. Uh, say, ladies, here's one for you. Hey, it's not easy being the sexiest man alive. Just ask People Magazine's latest title holder, Hugh Jackman. He said ever since the declaration was made, more demands are being placed on him. Previously, my wife had said the sexiest thing about me was that I took the garbage out, that I came trained, so to speak, when I came to her. So all of a sudden, since that, it's like, all right, baby, show it to me. What? Show what to her? The mop? Is that, what they, is that what the kids call it, not Sam? The mop? No, he's doing extra housework, I would imagine. Uh-huh. He's trying uh-huh. to be helpful. Uh-huh. I know motion picture opens tomorrow. It's called Milk, the biography of Harvey Milk starring Sean Penn in the title role. Uh, Penn talks about the, some of the things in the movie, and he was asked what interested him in this role. He gave me Lance's sensational script, and so it seemed like a no-brainer to want to do it. And, of course, then, you know, I could lay on top of that all of the particular values that this story and that, and that Harvey Milk's life have, but um, you know, that would take a long time. But those were the initial things. It was a wonderfully written script with one of the you know, great directors. Let me just say that Sean Penn really is one of, the, one of the greatest actors of his generation. I mean, really one of the great actors of our time. Mm. Why do I dislike him so intensely? I mean, he makes great films. He's a great actor. Well, he's, he's kind of... Ultra left wing, which is a little bit too left wing. He for seems you, kind I of think. like a smug bastard. I mean, that's yeah. I don't. Yeah, that's the thing is, I don't even know that it's like. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big bleeding heart, but I mean, but even further to the left, he just seems a bit. Maybe he seems jerky about it. Yeah, and not in a pleasantly like a not in a sort of like appealing curmudgeonly kind of mm-hmm. way. I think that's the thing. He just. I think smug is the word. Uh, he seems. You know what he seems like? Here's Sean Penn. Doesn't Sean Penn seem like some sort of really humorless trailer park version of Johnny Depp? Yes. I mean, if you were to pick Johnny Depp and, like, stick him in some sort of trailer park in Bozeman and then have him grow up there and just to be like a, just be like a, a kind of a pretentious twit, uh, that is, that's, that's kind of what Sean Penn, I mean, the wonderful actor, really an amazing actor, uh, all the way back to Taps with Tom Cruise and Timothy Hutton, but, I mean, really just a, an off-putting person. See also, uh, see also Tim Robbins. Also in this motion picture is Josh Brolin, who Sarah Dillon does like because he's a square-headed jock type. <laughs> He plays the assassin of Dan White in this motion picture. I read the script and cried at the end of the script, and then Gus had also sent me the 1984 amazing documentary that I watched with my daughter, and both of us were crying at the end of that. So it was one of those 
things of like it, it, it was less about the character and more about the story you know the fact that we were so moved by it well, I know, these guys sound awful tired I was going to say I know that it's a very heavy story and that it's not anybody's idea of a pick me up but it's like it's like they've both been drugged or something they, it's all, like the, they all kept their rights to do this really? Uh-huh. no see? seriously oh, see so that's admirable yeah. I mean don't, and I mean that's I mean that in a very true sense it's very admirable that they would that they would do a project that probably isn't going to be a big box no, office success it's only playing at the art house down yeah it's not like everybody wants to go and just be kicked in the soul, uh, you know, but with such, you know, such a, a powerful but a very depressing story. Uh, but it's like, I, I don't know, it, it's like they've all been up for about four days and they can't quite get their mouth to open up all the way when they talk. That documentary he's referring to is The Times of Harvey Milk. That's a great documentary. It, it, it is, it's so good, but it's like you walk out of it. I saw it when I played at Cinema 21 about a year and a half ago. And you see The Times of Harvey Milk and it just, you walk out and it's it's powerful and it's moving but you're sort of inspired and depressed and just angry at all humanity all at once. Mm-hmm. And there's it ends with that huge, that massive candlelight parade, yeah. which is just gives me chills even to think about it. It's just it's one of the one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. So let's uh, uh, play a clip. In this scene, uh, Milk and his lover Scott Smith, who's played by James Franco, attempt to have a romantic dinner. Don't say anything. <sighs> Can I just tell you, if you say anything about politics or the campaign or what speech you have to give or anything, I swear to God, I'm going to stab you with this fork. I just wanted to say that this is the most wonderful dinner I have ever had. If we lose this, it'll just be you and me again, I promise. Uh, did I mention that Byron Beck went, uh, had uh, dinner and drinks with James Franco and said he was, quote, Wait for it, Sarah. Even hotter in person. Oh, you bastard. You Is that directed back. at me? No, Byron. <laughs> just, no, it's a Byron. Messenger message. No, a conduit, Byron, baby. are you kidding me? <sighs> yeah, he's like, because I, I said, you know, he, James Franco is dreaming. He goes, Rick, he is even hotter in real life. And I said, I'll be sure to tell Sarah that. All right. What did they talk about? I don't know. How did that happen? Making out, maybe. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what, what would you have wanted them to talk about? I have nothing. I... But him being single and wanting to settle down with the lowly Portland AM producer. My goal, my, my goal is to, uh, my goal is to marry a, uh, marry a radio producer whose hair is falling out in Portland. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com our good friend Nina Parker. Hello there. Hi. How are you? Hi. How are you? Uh, sorry for putting up. Uh, thanks for putting up with us. We're running a little bit uh, behind today. How's life at TMZ? How are things? Oh. Busy as always. <laughs> uh, so you guys, there's a, so there's a couple of our uh, favorite people in the headlines. First of all, I know there's Britney news of of some kind. I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing, but I guess it's there's some sort of an ongoing fight or kerfuffle or imbroglio or something between Britney and her dad, who just has had like all of this ongoing uh, control in her life. What is the uh, what is the status of that? Well, you know, as everyone knows, her dad is her conservator. He deals with all things Britney, basically. Um, but she just wants him to deal with her business affairs at this point. She doesn't want him to do the same for her personal life. Uh, she dated Adnan, which is a paparazzi that she dated in the summer, right. who kind of, you know, was seen as a bad influence. But she is still interested in him. We're told that she's still in contact with him, still texting, um, and wants to see him. Her dad is not having any of it, doesn't really want her going out, um, you know, to the clubs, doesn't want her going, you know, out with Adnan, and it's caused a rift between the two of them. So she met with the court, and they talked for about 45 minutes with the judge. She wants to, you know, kind of get him to, you know, 
ease up a little bit. She's about to be 26. So they just, because, like, the dad has just been sort of, like, appointed conservator, like, for life or something, right? Like, exactly. indefinitely. Right. And she's just saying, you know, enough is enough. I'm, I, You know, I understand I made some mistakes, but I really need to be able to, you know, go out and breathe a little bit. So she wants a little release from her personal life. She still wants him to handle her business, but she wants to be in charge of her own personal life. Is the, and now here's the thing. Is, is Britney Spears' dad making money on her somehow right now? In other words, is there, does he have some vested interest in, in, in controlling everything she does? I mean, absolutely. I mean, he, he's pretty much running everything. He's getting percentage of, of you know, her earnings. He, you know, is managing all of her money. So, uh, I mean, it definitely is in his best interest to make sure that her business affairs are in line because he definitely profits from it. All right, and then I haven't seen this, but I know that you guys are going to be showing it. I guess it's some exchange between uh, one of the TMZ uh, photographers, camera guys, and Mel Gibson, who... We were talking about Sean Penn. Mel Gibson file also under guys who make great movies, but he just seems like such a jackass. He just seems like such an obnoxious uh, jerk in so many ways. So I guess there's some sort of conversation between one of the TMZ folks and Mel Gibson that I guess goes badly in some way. I mean, we, our guy just catches him out in Malibu, and uh, he tells him, you know, I love your movies. I, I you know, I really like Passion of the Christ. Um, all of your movies are a little gory, kind of like Hellraiser. And it was just kind of inappropriate, uh, especially using Passion of the Christ as that. So it was just kind of an awkward. I love that Passion you know. of the Christ, it's just like Hellraiser. <laughs> exactly. You know? He's like, it's gory, like Hellraiser. It was just, you know, definitely not uh, good with the words there. You know, it's already, you have to be a little sensitive when you're talking to Mel. So I got to tell you, happy about it. I don't know that I would ever talk to, to, to Mel Gibson at all because it seems like the odds are about one in five. You're going to say hello to that guy and he's going to take a golf club to your teeth. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's best to say hello and keep it moving with uh, Mel Gibson. He that's, doesn't really like to chit-chat. That's what I'm saying. Keep it to the bare minimum of pleasantries. Got so. it. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. No Nina problem. Parker from TMZ. All right. I appreciate it. All right. There you go. All right. Well, well at this point, well, we can't right now. It's only two minutes after. Is it two? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go. Let's do this. We'll take a quick break. Then we'll come back after this. Uh, Jim Roop on the other side. Uh, we got uh, Don Taylor from Film dot uh, com is going to join us as well later on. The top five. Tim Riley. Your call. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Apparently, I can pre-order Chinese Democracy today. Didn't it come out like four days ago? Somebody needs to. Somebody in the marketing department isn't talking to somebody else. Well, whatever. I'm deleting it regardless. Uh, here in a few, we'll uh, talk to Film.com's Don Taylor. Uh, she's going to talk about some DVD stuff and uh, worst films. Films to avoid over the holidays. And so I think I added in my head the while drunk and alone part. Uh, in the meantime, in between time, from Los Angeles, CNN radio correspondent and living God, Jim Roop. Hello, sir. Hello, Johnny. How are That a little weird right there. How are you? I explained that once before. You don't remember, did you? No. What, what were you it doing? It doesn't matter. It's stupid. No, no, no. you got to explain I used to work with when I was... Uh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. James no. Francis Patrick. And he would always do... Okay, that's right. Yeah, and, and I'll he... never do that again, I promise. No, no, no. It's I re... Because, for you know, of course, when you said it, I was immediately thinking Johnny Carson. I'm like, but that's not Ed McMahon. No. And so then in my head, I was thinking back to, like, is this like a Johnny Olsen kind of a thing where it was like a... Uh, a pseudo-Ed McMahon who once said that to Johnny Carson. That's, uh, you know, I, I make the big mistake of saying that a lot when I come into a room or somebody calls me on the phone. Just because right. I just, I just oh, go who, back to that 
stupid time of my life. But he was a guy, but he had that, that was his full name that you always had. He always yeah, used that Yeah, he's a guy you always had to call James Francis Patrick O'Neill. Well, you could call him JFPO, but it one of those two or nothing else. JFPO just sounds, I think I noted this the first time, it sounds like some sort of a crude acronym. <laughs> that guy is a real JFPO. Or, like or, or you'd see it on, <laughs> or, or you'd see it on, um, You'd see it on Craigslist, you know? Yeah. Uh, M4W seeks JFPO uh, must be, you know, must be discreet. Uh, <laughs> all right. Or how about this? Uh, speak, seeking JF, after which you must F-O. <laughs> there you go. That's the winner right there. That's the best. Bam! It's all worth it for that. All right. Uh, but I promise that, I won't do it again. See, and just think that this wit is available for free to people. They don't have to pay for this. It's amazing. They just turn on this magical little box, and jokes like that come out of it for four hours every day. That's why you're the king, my That's friend. what I do. All right. Um, hey, so, uh, you've been, so you've been following this whole this whole thing of uh, of Lori Drew, who, you know, everybody knows the story. She went online, pretended to be some uh, teenage boy, and basically, you know, befriended and then abandoned and crushed this girl, Megan, who then uh, took her own life and, and right. whatever. Um, so is the, was one of the lawyer's defenses today actually that, quote, well, no one ever reads the terms of service. No, no, that's not quite the, that's not quite accurate. Okay. Um, the uh, last week, the assistant of Lori Drew, who uh, was testifying under immunity, admitted on the stand that it was she who set up the profile. Ah, so Lori Drew didn't see the agreement terms. Oh, I see. To be able to lie about who she was, I mean, you know, because you know you can't set up a fake profile sure. and so on and so forth. So as soon as the defense, as soon as the prosecution rested its case, the defense said, "We're moving to dismiss because my client didn't see the terms, therefore ah. didn't agree to them, therefore couldn't have violated." The prosecution them. did not prove, uh, it did not sh show sufficient evidence of a criminal act. So the judge says, well, i got to think about this one. So the judge came back today and said, I'm going to hang on to that verdict. And not verdict, but that ruling. Right. I'm going to pocket that ruling and wait till after the verdict is released. I, I have see. some things to consider. So that sounds like it could be a possible on appeal kind of a thing. Not even that. It sounds to me like if they come back with a guilty verdict. Which they almost certainly will on something. I would think so. The conspiracy, at least. Right. If they come back with maybe anything other than a conspiracy... He might say, well, I'm not going to dismiss the case, but I'm going to throw out these other three charges. All right. Okay. And the three the three accessing computer without authorization charge. So that could mitigate the... Yeah, uh... it, it, she'd wind up with five years in prison instead of 20. Right, right, okay. Well, yeah, which just doesn't seem fair. Just no. doesn't seem right. No, it, it really does not. It seems like the very essence of uh, the embodiment of not fair. Um, it does make you wonder if in the future websites of whatever variety are going to make those terms of service things pop up like every single time you go to the website so that you can no longer go, I don't know, my brother signed me up. I didn't know that you could not use this to send bomb-making plans. Oh, yeah. You know, that might very well be because on some places that are very secure, like your bank website, you've right. got to constantly... Prove who you are. Oh yeah, no, like you gotta like a. Uh, I logged into like make a dental appointment or a, a, the, the the I don't know like a doctor's appointment or something, and it was like my my insurance company. Like about every three times you go to their website, like if you're gonna make like some appointment to go see the doctor or whatever, like one out of every three times it will actually give you this. It gives you the weirdest quiz, man. I don't know if anybody else had this with their insurance company. When I go to make a doctor's appointment online, and by the way, it is terrifying because it reveals how much they know about you. It'll say. Which one of these addresses have you not lived at in the last 10 years? Oh, my God. Literally, and it shows, like, addresses from a decade ago. 
And I'm actually having to think, like, I don't know. which Did I live at that one? Did I not? And I actually had to pick out the address from the last decade that I had not lived at. Hey, if you can't remember exactly where you lived in, in just 10 years, then I want your life. Well, I guess you 10 years. fun then, pal. Well, it is radio, so. There no. you go. Um, anyway, well, so it, it, it makes you wonder if MySpace and Facebook and all those places are really going to have to amp everything up, because you know this stuff is happening all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, did you see, well, there was this is sort of, I mean, it is, it is unrelated, but there's that, uh, I guess it was in Britain, that uh, webcam suicide thing where that guy uh, took like 200 pills on a webcam, and he's like, yeah, hey. Yeah, I heard about that. There was like 1,000 people watching it. Hey, everybody, I'm going to overdose. And then well, he just I, laid I, there in front of the camera for three hours. You know, I think some people thought it was a hoax. Right, I mean, right. I'm almost sure they and, did. Until the cops came and kicked in the door. Yeah. Uh, so I would imagine... But how weird is that? Oh, it's completely weird. Um, and I mean, obviously I haven't seen it, but there's little screen captures of like the little chat box underneath where it's a lot of like, OMG, maybe we should call the cops. I don't know. Maybe he's just asleep. And then I guess at one point, if you were watching it, like you, you just saw sort of the camera vibrate and it was like the cops kicking in the door or whatever. So Whoa. stuff like this is just going to happen more and more and more often. And they're going to have to start ratcheting up some of their... You know, there's service parameters to kind of uh, compensate for this sort of a thing. Because they don't want to be liable for any of that stuff. Because you know that every time like, something like this happens, there's a lawyer who's on the phone, right or wrong, going like, eh, we can sue them for everything. So, geez. You know, it, uh, I'm sure that something will be going on here with all of that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with this. Oh, this is going to be a civil suit. This woman's going to get OJ'd. Uh, you know, there's there's going to be a civil suit for like a skillion dollars filed if there hasn't yeah, already. Yeah, you're right, because the criminal trial has to end first yeah. before uh, they can move forward yeah. with that. Oh, man, I, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. is, If O.J. taught us anything, it's that you are never beyond the reach of, uh, of the man. Yeah, I thought the greatest question was by the uh, prosecutor um, uh, when the last witness, witness was up there, uh, Lori Drew's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she admitted on the stand that, you know, well, this girl had talked about suicide in the past. And the prosecutor said... And so why didn't you tell anybody that? Why didn't you go to her parents or your right, parents or right. somebody and say, this girl's contemplating this? Right. We know she's being treated for depression. We know she's being treated for ADD and whatever else she's got going on. Right. Uh, and why? Did, and that's when, that's when she broke down and started crying. I mean, she just blubbered out. But the old lady, you know, she's just kind of sitting there or whatever. I don't know. She's like, yeah, she's like Janie Hardcase. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she... She didn't like seeing her. She was crying, but I think it's because she didn't like seeing her daughter on the stand. It had nothing to do with making well, Meyer. You know, maybe she should think about the next time she decides to be like a negligent jackass parent, my opinion. That's my constitutionally protected opinion, that she is, in fact, that. So. It's just it's just bad all the way around, man. All right. Well, as you're right, it, it, there is no, and there is no good resolution to this. There's only bad and worse at right. this point. So, yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that she would sit there and that, you know, she's crying... Not because, you know, what they did to some poor girl, but because she doesn't like seeing her daughter, you know, bossed around on the stand. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, maybe that's a group of folks that, uh, you know, next time around on the karmic wheel ought to decide, you know, they, take a weekend to think about whether they should have their own kids. You know? <laughs> maybe you and your husband can just... make that decision for you. It'll take me less than a weekend. I was going to say, just get, me, uh, just get me a soldering iron. We're going to fix that right now. <laughs> Uncle Ricky's sterilization wagon. <laughs> get in. I'll give you $20. So... <laughs> All right. On that note, are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes, I am. All right. You just keep that thought with you. Give you a warm glow whenever you need it. I will. All right. Talk to you then, sir. Thanks, man. All right. There you go. Richie, can we uh, welcome Don Taylor to the studio? That would be ever so fabulous. All right. Don Taylor from uh, Film.com going to join us here in just a few. Uh, let's see. What else? Top five. I gave you the top five list, right? Yes, indeed. It's genius. Um, all right. Got to get to that today because then we got some other... Uh, 
I don't know, some other shenanigans, some other nonsense to get through tomorrow. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Say one of those days where I don't know if Richie's actually even here. Oh, there he is. All right. See him? In heels as well. Waddling around. All right. Is he? He doesn't seem to be waddling. He seems to be walking relatively upright. Uh, Richie, are these the same shoes you were wearing yesterday? Uh-huh. All right. Hey, do your feet smell? Or you're bathing every day, right? Well, he can't tell if his feet smell. You can't just laugh. Remember, he can't smell. Oh, that's true. You can't snort when I ask if you bathe. Well, now that my feet are exposed, I got to. But you want to talk on the microphone? Yeah, I can't hear anything you're saying. Why don't you? Uh, there's a microphone there that will amplify your voice. Actually, you can see my feet through my high heels. I have to actually, you know, I did my 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 toenails and stuff. You got a ma- uh, pedicure? No, I did it myself. What did you do to them? Just cl- just clip them? Did clip you paint them? them? And then, did you yeah, buff them? Grind them and grind them. Is that what they call it now? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that ad, that infomercial or the commercial, or whatever, for that thing that trims your dog's uh, toenails? Yeah, uh, my friend Lisa has that, and it works marvelously. But have you seen the ad where it's like, don't let this happen, and it's like it's the whole dog's whole paw comes off or whatever, <laughs> you know, and it's like like snipping off all of your dog's toes? Yeah, I right. one of those. All right. Well, you should go get a full uh, a full pedicure at some point. I will. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. There you go. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Film.com, Don Taylor. Hello there. Hello. How are you today? I'm, I'm good. I'm All good. right. Hey, by the way, so I said this earlier, but I got to, uh, not a, any sort of a paid uh, plug or whatever. Uh, you make a fine confection. Why, thank you. What was that? Uh, and I know I sound like some dumb guy who doesn't appreciate whatever. What was that stuff you brought last week? It was like <laughs> a marshmallow. <laughs> I don't know. First of all, I've eaten it. Well, I started a. Uh, I'm starting a company. Uh, we're going online uh, away. sometime next month. Uh, called uh, Polidori Chocolates, and uh, so it'll be internet only. PolidoriChocolates.com. I did some uh, truffles. I gave away at the uh, HP Lovecraft Festival. Well, they were like demon truffles. Like yeah, they had this, names or whatever. Well, yeah, this a... because this was inspired by the HP Lovecraft Festival. So this was the Chocanomicon collection of truffles. Fantastic. So there's truffle over Innsmouth, which yeah. is uh, key lime and salt. It was like one of that brandy or something in it? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, Richie's brought you some Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. And then there was like a, uh, I don't know, there was like nuts and chocolate (laughs) or something. (laughs) Oh, way to go, Don. Break the headphones. The thing came off. Wow. All right. Hey, can you smell Richie's feet from where you are? No. I'm not entirely certain he's bad. Although it was a little startling when he came to get me and we were in the elevator together and I looked down and saw him just. Richie, have you shaved your legs? Are your legs shaven? I'm Asian. I'm sorry, what? I'm Asian. Meaning, I don't so have are they well, you have limited body hair, as you're yeah. saying, perhaps less body hair than I might you know, than I might yeah. otherwise see. But did you shave on top of that? No. Yeah. Well, and there was that. Did you use a little nair? No. Well, you know, there's that thing they claim where they like Asians have no uh, no body odor either. That guy on the on the uh, Donna Mike show. There was a yeah. whole debate about that. Yeah. Well, there was this whole thing where there was a, there was a, like an intern on the Donna Mike show who didn't use deodorant. And he said, this is him saying, he said it was because he was of Asian descent and Asians had, in his experience, very, uh, barely noticeable body odor, substantially less um, than people of European descent. And there was like a whole debate about it. And I don't even know the resolution. So I'm just stereotyping based on 10 seconds of a radio show I heard like five years ago. Well, I would sniff you, but we've really only just met. (laughs) I'm only half Asian, so half of me stinks really bad and the other half has no odor. Maybe it's just the bottom half. All right. Thank you, Richie. All right. Jesus. All right. Well, what is up in the world of film? Well, it's, uh, as as I mentioned uh, at the break, we bumped into each other, it's uh, award season at the end, so I, I dazzled you with showing oh, you that... See, why uh, do you do this, you horrible I woman? Know. Uh, this is the season for oh, your listeners you. when... Damn uh, you! <laughs> Let me just tell you what, what Dawn is holding in her hand. It is, now you won't care that much about this, Sarah, but it is, um, it's a movie called Frost Nixon. 
And it is a really an amazingly hotly anticipated film, uh, and it is about a series of inter a series of of, of uh, interviews that Richard Nixon did after the Watergate scandal, that he then later regretted doing, because he felt that he had sort of revealed too much of himself. And it was a play, uh, and I think Frank Frank Langella Frank was Langella Nixon in the play. Yeah. Uh, and now it has been it's it's been adapted into a film. It's produced by Ron Howard and Brian Grazier. And I, did Howard direct it too? I think so. Wait, hold on. Well, it's hard to tell because he hasn't been nominated. Uh, oh, wait, here we go. No, Best Director. They haven't pushed Okay, yeah, here we go. Best Director, Ron Howard. So this is like a four-year consideration thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it, at award season, if you belong to one of the film critics groups or whatever, the uh, studio starts sending you these DVDs of the movies they really love, and they hope that you'll put them on your top ten list. Right. And in some cases, they're films that have not actually been released yet. la di da and it's, and it's like, apparently it's watermarked, and there's a barcode right. on it, and if I make a copy of it, it can be traced back to me, and I don't know what they did. They throw me in movie jail or something. So if I'm, if I'm in the Pirate Bay later, and, you know, yeah. and it's... Uh, Hey, that was Dawn's, yeah. they say. D. Taylor, 555, <laughs> Chocolate Girl, uploaded the... Okay, look at this. I mean, look at this. Casio, Frank Langella, Michael Sheen. Is he of the uh, Sheen Sheens? I, I don't know. All right, Kevin Bacon, uh, Oliver Platt, love that guy, Sam Rockwell. So. Oh, Sam Rockwell. And I've got, I got a huge Nixon thing. I'm fascinated with Richard Nixon. Uh, in fact, the last time we heard we were talking about that JFK set, I was how I waited for that Nixon special edition to come out just forever. Just forever. And I have to tell you that the Nixon special edition DVD is really good, although it is just the heights of Oliver Stone's self-importance that there's actually two separate Oliver Stone commentaries. Not sometimes you'll get like <laughs> seriously, it sounds like a joke. Sometimes you'll get like like seven. The movie I think has three commentaries. One that is just David Fincher, and I think one that is the actors, and one that is the editor and the guy who did the score, whoever that is, because it's such a you know an aesthetically layered movie. Uh, and, you know, and then sometimes you'll get like uh, whatever the actor commentary and producer commentary, like the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, like that. And, but if you literally, if you're watching the, the the Nixon DVD, both commentaries, both full length three and a half hour commentaries, are Oliver Stone, and there's no, they're totally different. One is Oliver Stone commenting on his own film and how genius it is, and then the other one is Oliver Stone just ruminating about the life of Richard Nixon as the movie plays. Which I guess is okay, but it's like it does sort of ask the question, like, how much Oliver Stone does one need? What would be great is if, it, like, one was him sober and the other was, like, hammered. Drunk. Like, or totally coked up Oliver yeah. Stone. Yeah. Yeah. And then so. just the, the different way he sees the movie depending on, you know, what drugs he's on. You know, here's a question for you, and, I, and we, we actually will talk about some movie <laughs> stuff here. We'll break. We'll come back. News with Tim Riley. Does it, do you ever watch a commentary and you wish that the studio had just anted up like the 10 bucks an hour for an intern to sit in there who like had seen the film to prompt questions. Yeah, some of them are some of them are have these long dead passages. Some of them uh they have nothing interesting to say. They'll just sit there and they actually are just pointing out narrating on the, the film. Screen. Spike Lee does that of all people. I remember watching Bamboozled, which is one of my favorite Spike Lee films, and Spike Lee is sitting there, one of the most talented writers directors of 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 his generation. Spike Lee is sitting there going and this is the scene where they're auditioning for the TV show. And it's like, you know, or the, or the worst, how about this? Do you ever watch a commentary and they'll actually say, well, uh, we're not going to, they have the sports night box set thing. Well, uh, you know, if you're watching this commentary, uh, we're not going to spoil what happens in this episode. But let's just uh, let's just say something surprising happens to Casey McCall. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm watching the commentary for a show that's been off the air for a decade. I've probably already seen it. The, uh, the, although uh, some of the uh, John Sayles does some of the best commentaries for his movies. He, uh, his his movies are worth watching 
all over again just with the commentary because of the amount of background he has and the interesting anecdotes right. he has about the telling of the story and how things were done. And, and it, it, it's what the commentaries actually, I think, are supposed to be. See also Paul Thomas Anderson in Boogie Nights, yes. who I think is a little lit on one or more substances, <laughs> but it was just great. I mean, it's a great combination of anecdotes and then technical gibberish, like this is a Panaflex water box lens that allows me to film in an aspect ratio, you know, in a swimming pool of whatever. So. And then in a completely different category, there's uh, commentaries like Cannibal the Musical Best. And, uh, and Big Trouble in Little China, oh, where you've got them, like, just sitting around drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and knocking back shots of scotch. The Cannibal the Musical directory. Uh, directory commentary is Best so. Commentary ever. It is. Well, first of all, it's a great film, and also Trey Parker at the very beginning says, "All right, uh, tonight we're drinking scotch, two bottles of bourbon, vodka, and if you want to <laughs> load up a little smoke at home, we're doing that as well. Let's go!" And then over the course of it, it just they get. Per- and at one point, about 15 minutes from the end, they actually stop because they wanted to figure out what strip club they're going to later. <laughs> Um, but it is just, it's the best. And and they get into a screaming drama nerd argument about what location a scene was shot on. And there is a sequence in Cannibal where two characters are debating what musical, like, tonal scale a song is being sung in. And, of course, one guy's like a pirate or a trapper or something. And he's going, it's sung in Mixolydian scale. And it's like a pirate and, like, a prospector arguing this really highbrow, like, music theory debate. And the best part is on the commentary... Trey Parker and one of the other guys, themselves, while drunk, start having the same screaming argument in front of the microphones. It's excellent. It's wonderful. <laughs> so let's talk about a few of these, then we'll break, and we'll, we'll come back with uh, Tim Riley. We'll have some news for us and more things. So this, what, what else is on uh, the, the, your agenda today? Well, uh, basically one of the things that... Um Excuse me, we could talk about it. Uh, I'm just sort of baffled and, and boggled by this, the Christmas season DVD set marketing that comes out. Because uh, the big one that, that I keep seeing is The Sopranos, the right. complete series of The Sopranos. It's $400. <laughs> I mean, this is stuff, I guess, for rich people who really love television. Yeah. It's 33 discs. Wrap your mind around that. It's, it's 33 discs. And I don't really know anybody who's really, like, hankering to watch the whole thing again. It's got... It's been uh, gone for, like, a year. It has three CDs of soundtrack music, three and a half hours of bonus features. On, but it's it's all 86 episodes. But I... you. A lot of these sets, you kind of look at it, and it's like, okay, you know, The Wire, the complete series of The Wire. That's still, that's 250 bucks. To me, that's still a lot of money for DVDs, but you can still say, I could see saying, well, I have no idea what to get my dad, and he's buying me an iPod, and he loves The Wire. But $400, so you own all of The Sopranos. It just seems, yeah, seems like a bit of overkill, even Uh, in America. There's also, uh, they're doing the same thing with Deadwood, the complete series of Deadwood for like $179. And uh, that's right. But it's, um, I don't know. And then, oh, again, uh, in Freaks and Geeks. You can get all of Freaks and Geeks for $170. Now, to be fair, in defense of Freaks and Geeks, the reason that costs so much is because they kept all of the original period music. And the licensing for that music was like unbelievable. Uh, and they actually, I think, uh, what's his name, Apatow actually said, he's like, this is the reason, he put it like a blog posting, like, I'm sorry, this is the reason it costs so much, I didn't want to use stock, because if you watch, and it's taken forever, like, however many years, for WKRP to begin coming out on DVD. I was going to mention that, yeah. Even now, though, even now that they finally licensed a lot of this stuff, you get WKRP on, on DVD, this is why somebody uh, legally distinct from me, but similar to me, just bought the whole thing, a bootleg copy of the whole series off VHS, you know, it was like VHS transferred to DVD um, at once, because even now, after all these years, you get WKRP, which is set in a radio station, 
and Johnny Fever saying, and now here's some Jimi Hendrix. And you hear, like, clearly just like some terrible temp music that was on, like, a royalty-free <laughs> production CD that they found somewhere that they didn't have to use. So, and that's just painful. So I can almost understand that. Oh, I, but yeah, and uh, and all and there's a bunch of other TV series that I don't understand why anybody would want the entire series. Like you can get all of I Dream of Jeannie as a box set this Christmas. Um, Sarah has the whole Sex in the City box set, right? You got that whole thing. Yeah, you yeah, watch I, it all the I time, own the Bible. though. Yep, it's it's well worth it to me. But it's like I Dream of Jeannie. I Dream of Jeannie is sort of like one of those series that you see at the store and you go, Well, boy howdy, I used to love that show when I was nine and had a tiny brain. <laughs> and so you'll get like what's happening the whole first season. And I feel, you know, and it's like you feel sorry for the show and, and for yourself for losing magical innocence because you get it home and you're like, honey, let's let's watch what's happening all weekend. And you put it in and you get about 14 <laughs> minutes into it and you go, oh, God, I've made a huge mistake. And you realize you've blown like 40 bucks on something you're never going to watch ever Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, I started downloading some of the uh, Netflix on demand old TV series yeah, that they have. Going, yeah. wow, you know, I, I, I haven't seen Matlock in a long time. And yeah. oh, oh, it, it doesn't hold. It up. It doesn't really hold up. The only thing that holds up for me from that era that I bought is Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost totally holds up. Uh, <laughs> but I know that almost anything else I would get from there, you know, the even shows I really like, like Mash. I mean, I'm not fool enough to think because then you buy them and they just sit on a shelf and they sit there every now and again silently accusing you of being like a consumerist American, you know, who buys things you don't need. Yeah, I try to. Have, I, I have. I've kind of almost. This is terrible thing. You know, I do the DVD thing, but I get a lot of DVDs for review, right. so they just keep stacking up. So then going out and buying more and then finding some place seems kind of. Uh, there is. Um, if I was going to spend money, there's two things I would probably spend money on. There is a, a new. Uh, Buffy complete series really? that I think you can get for about 70 bucks now, like Amazon seven for the complete yeah. all seven yeah they, they just recently had it on on special Those bastards I paid 35 a season oh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really good deal if you want to see the whole thing. that almost makes it worthwhile because the last the last two seasons are just unmitigated crap yeah. almost front to back <laughs> I mean really handful of episodes notwithstanding it's like the the investment to return ratio on that show just drops off so drastically after season three. It's like X Files. It's like I don't want all of the X Files. I just want season three. Yeah, because that was the good season. Well, Buffy, the only episode, the only seasons I own, I own seasons two and three. I'll catch the rest on FX like occasionally. Uh, okay, let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Tim Riley will share news with us. We'll have uh, more thoughts from Don Taylor of Film.com. We're not going to get to the top five, are we? Sarah didn't even see Tim and Sarah sadly shaking their heads in unison. Uh, well, what can you do? I take full responsibility for that. All right, back with uh, Tim Riley and more from Don Taylor. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Putting the cult in pop culture. Picked up in one minute. The Rick Emerson Show, only on AM 970, The Talker. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, home of the world's finest bumper music. Hey, Tim, who was uh, What's Her Guts uh, that was on Electro Woman and Dinah Girl and was also on Guiding Light or Days of Our Lives or something? You know what I'm talking about? The blonde chick? I do. I can't think of her name. And then she was also on Our House starring Shannon Doherty and Wilford Brimley. I can't think of her on name. On NBC. Darn. And also the kid who played Tommy, the autistic, uh, what's his name on St. Elsewhere? 
Boy, I really sound like I'm in command of my popular culture. <laughs> the guy, he was in that thing with the dude. All right. Now I sound like that guy from Clerks. Do you have that one movie starring that guy who was in that thing? <gasps> Ooh, Mini Trucker Magazine. All right, we're here with Dawn Taylor from hey. Film.com. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, so we'll do some news here in a moment, and then you... Uh, as always, the time just sort of uh, yeah. fritters away down the drink as we end up talking about Trey Parker screaming about vodka. And the best part, by the way, is how in Cannibal the Musical, which is all about you know Alfred Packer trying to track down his horse Leanne that runs away, when he reveals that Leanne was in fact his fiance who like effed another guy right before they were supposed to get married, and so he he made this whole movie about a horse that runs away to be ridden by somebody else. Um, and then you're going you're to talk about uh, terrible movies to see over the holidays or oh, not to oh, see? Yeah, but in, in, in a way, it's, it's, it'll make up for not having the top five. Thank there's you. five of them. I don't deserve to live. Awesome, awesome. All right, so uh, in the meantime, Tim Riley. The and now, now. Though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, the Clackamas man can't seem to get anything right. Therefore, he'll spend 21 years and eight months in prison for trying to arrange hits on witnesses against him. And he also gets, uh, he was already serving five years for murder. So this all started when uh, 41-year-old Ronald Allen Everett was convicted in August of two counts of solicitation to commit uh, aggravated murder and one count of solicitation to commit second-degree assault. You see, he was stopped by a sheriff's deputy in November 2006 after she found him in a stolen RV. And then Karen Moss apparently tried to run her over. So she shot him in the upper arm, and he didn't surrender until he... Well, he ran into his dad's house, and they had to tear gas him when he wouldn't come out of a closet. So he pled guilty to attempted murder, and he got five years for that. When he was in jail, he recruited a fellow inmate to kill this place lady. Then when the inmate went to authorities, Everett had to have him killed as well. <laughs> That's like a whole house that Jack built kind of a thing, where it just it becomes like a weird Jenga game of hits. So this is a Clackamas man. Well, of course. Because that's like That becomes like that story we heard about in like Kenya or something, where a guy fell into a sewage pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, after going after his cell phone of all places, and then it was like, "Hello, I'm drowning in sewage," and like one of his neighbors came and then fell in, and before you knew, it, like 14 people had fallen and drowned in sewage. So sometimes you just, just you gotta, you gotta take what life has given you and, and just deal with it. And they can't wait to build that railroad line to bring up more people from Clackamas to downtown. <laughs> like we don't have enough problems there already. <laughs> it's you know what it is, Tim. It's cleansing of Clack, the Clackamas cleansing. <laughs> it's like importing death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nice. they'll be here before you know it. All right. Maybe I could just skip to the bottom of the page and burn all my money and stab myself. All right. I was going to say do that, but that would be thoughtless <laughs> of me, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, hosting Thanksgiving dinner for more than 1,000 guests requires a lot of work. That's why the ovens at Portland's Union Gospel Mission are all fired up around the clock as turkeys and traditional holiday fare prepared to uh, be provided to those in need of a hot Thanksgiving meal. They still need 20 more turkeys. If you have one around, bring it in. Maybe they should go to Alaska for those turkeys. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh-oh. Apparently, there's a handful of problem banks. The FBIC says they have a list of 171 banks that are in trouble. Why not give them all a bailout? Now, is this is it in America or in Portland or in yeah, Oregon? In America. All right. 171 banks are on the FBIC's problem list. Well, wait a minute. Now, is that banks like individual branches or companies? Companies. I didn't even. It makes me sound like a thick American, well, but I didn't even. banks and companies. I didn't even know there were that many banking companies. I guess they sort of assumed there was like three companies that owned everything at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, that's a. That's well, what free thought. money for everyone, I guess. It is the American way. And uh, last but not least, it looks like there's trouble in paradise for Madonna and Alex Rodriguez. Inside sources say A Rod has dropped out of Kabbalah school. The 33-year-old uh, baseball star has been linked to Kabbalah spiritual leader 
whatever his name is, since rumors of his budding romance with the material girl first surfaced in the midst of her divorce. So, apparently he decided to drop Kabbalah because it's off-putting. All right. Well, and by the way, for those who are playing the home game, Byron Beck's favorite Madonna song is, in fact, Take a Bow. Oh, there you go. Which I didn't see That's coming. That's a great song. But see, I thought it would have been something more peppy and upbeat. Uh, so I asked him that this morning. That was my final. Uh, that was kind of my final James Lipton sort of. And Byron Beck, what is your favorite Madonna song? And then he actually goes, "It's Take a Bow," which I never, you know, it's like that's like selecting this used to be my playground or something. It's just not something. I mean, it's a fine song. Which is my favorite Madonna song. Now, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't oh. even have a favorite Madonna song. Well, you're a bad American. I. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, I, that was a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So let's back up. So your favorite Madonna song is "This Used to Be oh, My Playground." God, yes, this used to be my childhood dream. All right. Well, fair enough. And then, and then, Tim, just to recap, yours was what? I don't remember now. <laughs> that seems unlikely. I know it really is. My mind just went blank. All right. Well, well fair I'll enough. Visit this tomorrow. Well, they're all so good. I was just going to say it is. Uh, that is a celebrating the whole catalog kind of a thing. All right. Well, I've done just too much thinking for one day. <laughs> Okay. It's all these bank failures and all, all these it's all bailouts. The, I can't keep my facts. Straight. It's pondering, Tim, all the consumer asset back paper uh, and uh, consumer lending amalgam things. Well, I should go back to the newsroom immediately and do more research. All right. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back in four, five, six, and 7. Hey, did you see what Don Taylor brought in to mock me with that we don't get to see? Oh. Frost Nixon. She brought it in just to, You know what it is? These are like... You know what this DVD is? This Frost Nixon DVD? These are the Glen Gary leads, where they come in, and as Ed Harris would say, they come in and wave them under your nose, and then they take them downtown to Mitch and Murray. I don't actually get to say... You know, to the layman, that would be a cooking show. That's... I don't know what that means. Think of the title again. Frost Nixon. Ah, I see. All right. There you know what it is? is? I'm a disc tease. <laughs> you know, Don Taylor is a disc tease. Did you just come up with that yourself? I just thought of that. Ad hoc? Was that an on-the-fly joke? That just came up. You should put that on your business card, right below, like, (laughs) confectionist. Confessioners and disc uh, tees. There you go. I'm not going to attempt to say that joke anymore today, because it's going to end badly. All right, uh, and so forth. All right, so Frost Nixon. So when does that come out of theaters? I I have no idea. I know that there's a press screening for it on, like, December 18th, so it's coming out sometime... So before the end of the year, though, like a a Christmas. Excellent. I am absolutely there. That's wonderful. Is that or a Tom Cruise Nazi movie? That, you know, here's the thing. What do you hear about Valkyrie? Because I kind of... Look, he's full-on screaming nuts. looks good. But I want it to be good because I want... I want sort of Tom Cruise, the actor, yeah. to, to make a little bit of a comeback. I love him as an actor. I mean, he I can mean, be really good. He, you know, he creeps me out as a human being, but I love him <laughs> as an actor. And I think he's actually very underrated as an actor, probably because of his personal yeah. life, and we know too much about it. But Well, and he's got those blinding teeth. They can yeah. sort of, like, you can't see the acting for the for the chomper That's sometimes. True. All right, uh, so what you have a, a list of, there's a five movies, five movies not to see over the holidays. Uh, on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. Specifically. Right. Where's like, you're sitting there, you've just eaten all the turkey, you've had two pieces of pie, you're you're having that whole bloated uh, uh, what I want? sodium thing, and uh, your cousin Jeb says, let's put in a movie. Okay, bad <laughs> idea. Number one, supersize me. Yes. You do not want to watch Super Size Me while you are... Uh, no, because then the next thing you're going to be in the bathroom going, hold my hair! Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, and the similar thing, Team America World Police. Yes. Just for that one... Uh, the endless vomit. The endless vomit scene. Team America... Can I just look at this real quickly about Team America? Team America is a movie that I really, really... 
I want to like a lot more than I do. Oh, I, I love it. I love the idea of that movie, but I find that I can't make it all the way through. I gotta, I gotta start skipping it. Huh. After a while, a bad puppet, like a satire of a bad puppet show, just becomes a bad puppet show for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three, uh, there's a uh, film called Three Extremes, which is uh, three different little movies done by Asian extreme directors, and one of the sections is called Dumplings by a director called Fruit Chan, and is about uh, basically a woman who looks for. Uh, uh, she goes to a place where she can get be- beauty and youth by eating these magical dumplings. And the thing is, uh, the secret ingredient in the dumplings turns out to be unborn fetuses. And uh, and towards the end of the film, she is like running out of the dumplings, but she herself is pregnant, so she comes up with a brilliant solution. Again, Why would you ever have seen this film? There, well, uh, she's a film critic. I'm this a, happens. I, right. I actually love the Asian extreme cinema. I'm, okay. and, I, and, I, I, and it's actually a really well-made little piece of, of filmmaking. Film. It's just, but again, you wouldn't want to watch that after dinner. Yes. Uh, number two, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Totally, yes. Do not watch that on a full stomach. Well, for the, like, the, uh, what about this donut? <laughs> again with the, uh, you know, I just watched the original Fly the other day, again, with Vincent Price. A wholly disturbing film. Much different, obviously, than the Cronenberg version, but still, even now, very, very creepy. That Cronenberg version is just, just flat-out awful at moment. I mean, not awful, but, I mean, it's just just, just repellent. Yeah, he kills moment. a guy by vomiting up yeah. flesh-eating sputum all over him. It's so uh, yeah. All right. And I think the 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 number one movie not to watch on Thanksgiving which should be obvious would be uh Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Totally. N- you do not want to see the uh, Mr. Sorry, I did scene. not know we employed a racist. <laughs> it's a wafer thin. Excellent. <laughs> I'll have the lot. Boy, you know, I uh, are we taking a break here? All right, Don Taylor from film.com. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having uh, me. And by the way, I, I don't know uh, when you went to high school or where. But i got to tell you, if you had gone to high school in my town at my time, you and I would have spent a lot of time together at Sherry's, pooling our money for a cup of coffee and one thing of fries with ranch, and then endlessly talking back and forth in Monty Python quotations. So, what do you have today? Oh, I have a lot and a wafer than mint. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, there you go. All right, back after this, we'll wrap it up. Like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. Don't go anywhere. So, Rick Emerson, radio program. Stay right there. Do you feel A three-piece dice show, high-end fix place. Forget all those, even when though those are mine. Forget all that, and your wildlife. Forget all those. Look at the meat in the center. Uh, exactly. That's where the deal is. That's why this, this one has taken it <laughs> to a level unseen in the past. Now here, here's the problem we're facing right now. Okay, we have jammed up the lines on this set. How many? Okay. But you will have to die. you will have to get this place tonight because it is at the sellout point. This will be your last shot at it. Island viewers, you are gonna have to call Terry. Yeah, get it lucky. You want to do three you're more minutes? Call Terry. Three more minutes and then we're gonna be sold out. Well, I have the poor old Terry worry about yeah, bottom. Terry's Terry's gonna be in trouble on this one. Folks, if you want in on it, it, it is time. You may want to utilize 866-577-1152. do have a few available operators at that number right now. This one's going to keep the lines lit. Okay. You will receive a, a plaque to display the Richard the Lionheart with. 
You know, and we've just been basically using these same five knife guy cuts forever because they're endlessly amusing. i got to find more, though. They never stop. Well, they're on for like six hours at a stretch. Uh, fantastic. All I keep thinking of when I hear that is like, this lasts two weeks. This lasts ten years. Oh, yeah. No, the, uh, we had to do like a master mix of those. Uh, oh, by the way, Richie Bristol, will you uh, join us in the studio, please? I don't have the bed up, but uh, Richie Bristol, if you'll uh, come into the studio, that would be fantabulous. Uh, let's see. While I'm thinking about it, join us tomorrow when our guest will include Tony Bennett. In your face, everybody. Uh, and then uh, let's see what else. Because uh, I don't think he's doing a lot of radio. I think it's I think it's just us, really yeah. just us. So everybody who's not us, yeah, that's right. Yeah, choke on that. Uh, so Tony Bennett tomorrow. Also Mick Wall, uh, writer for Kerrang magazine, author of W A R, the story of Axel Rose, and uh, he's going to talk about Chinese democracy. Richie, why are you shuffling uncomfortably? I hurt. Are you sore? Yeah. <laughs> wow. The that inside was... right here. Right next. Why to does my... the inside by your junk hurt? I don't ask Sarah. <laughs> I, well, the high really? heels, the high heels, sir. Why, why do high heels hurt? Why does the inside of your junk hurt? Ask Sarah. Thanks, Richie. <laughs> so how, how come high heels? Well, you're probably working there? muscles that you've never worked before. Oh God. Because your foot isn't naturally enough supposed to be it in that hurts. position. And look at all the marks it makes and blisters and. Do you have? Jeez, you girls got it. Well, oh, just yeah, do stop. it as long as you can, and then you know, stop hurting yourself because you won't be able to wear your shoes on your opening. Sarah door. doesn't wear heels. Well, Dave Zink gets mad when I run around in my bare feet, so I have to wear my. Wear you my know, there's own. something between yeah. bare feet. And <laughs> I was going to say those aren't your only options. Uh, it's not a binary situation. Uh, um, all right, Richard, your drag show is the 13th, but there's big news, right? Yes, at Taboo Video tonight. They go on sale at midnight. Tickets on sale Ooh. at midnight. There's only 150 available, so they will uh, go fast. These tickets will go fast. So go and ahead. they are going to a good cause, right? All yes. Month, all the proceeds. Martha's Pantry Metropolitan Community Church. Right. Rochelle.com is the website. Yes. Get right. your tickets tonight. Midnight. Excellent. All right. We want to thank uh, Film.com's Don Taylor, as well as uh, Jim Rube, Lisa Desjardins, and Steve Kastenbaum. Rick Emerson, show producer today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman for AM970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, Whipmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Donut with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Mike O'Mara's show at 7. See you all tomorrow. We'll talk to snakes. Bye now. To interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay.